0: Good morning, everybody. It is Steph. It is the 16th of December, 2012, and I am pumped to be talking with you today. It is truly one of the um, one of my favorite parts of the week, is chatting with y'all about thoughts, ideas, history, and consequences. So uh, I really appreciate you calling in. I really appreciate your support. I appreciate your honesty, your openness, and thank you, thank you, thank you. We have a bit of a hard stop today today. Um, There is a birthday party occurring in the Molyneux household. We will be chock full of children, guests, and friends, so it's going to be quite an exciting time. Uh, We have a face painter coming by, and uh, we have uh, entirely too much fun to be had. So that's going to be our our hard stop. Uh, Isabella has gratefully accepted people's birthday wishes, Um, and of course she reminds you that all she ever wants is bitcoins and better lighting equipment for her daddy. So, um, uh, I guess we'll get started with the show. The usual documentary is coming along well. Uh, My condolences to one of the animators who had to pull out, unfortunately, according to a groin injury, uh, as a result of a groin injury. I really didn't um, know that animation was actually so gymnastic, but apparently uh, it is. I guess he does his own moves, records them, and then animates them. And so, sorry about that. Um, donations for the documentary and other sundry Freedom Aid Radio survival (laughs) carbs are also gratefully accepted at freedomaidradio.com. But that's it for my intro. Uh, Thank you, for everyone, for your kind words about uh, my words on the Connecticut shooting. Uh, Truly tragic, but we try to get as much silver lining as we can out of these dark Nazgul-wing-style clouds. So let's start with our first caller, and I am all ears. All right. uh, First up today, uh, we have Steve. It's not Steve. My apologies. <laughs> I haven't called him yet. Um, okay, we'll start uh, the show again. Yeah. Hello, everybody. No, just kidding. going. <laughs>
1: uh, we'll go with the end first day. Hello. I just unmute the mic. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to quick ask a question regarding the, the concept of the soul. I've been I've been trying to figure that out. Hello. Uh, I know you write about it a few times, in some of your books and stuff. But I'm uh, I'm I'm not quite sure what what you feel about it.
0: All right. Sure. Yeah. Just kind of go and explain to me right quick. Sorry. What I mean about with the word soul.
1: Yeah. What what is your concept, What is your belief or, or or what do you think about the concept of the soul itself? Because I know I have friends that that believe that is real. I have friends that you know like, they tell me this stuff about like ESP and things like that and. I, I'm not sure. After 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 reading some of your stuff, I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of beginning to have some some conflicts regarding right. what they believe. So I'm, I'm 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 gonna try to see what what your side on it is.
0: The well, I, of a, I haven't uh, sort of made up my own word with regards to this. Uh, I think I have a pretty typical or average conception of the idea of the soul, which is that it is an immaterial essence of the personality that survives past death, and, um, and you know, can't be killed, and, and in many ways, in fact, can't be corrupted or is always savable, you know, the, the deathbed confession and getting absolution from the priest for things you did right. that were bad. So, uh, and generally, it is considered to be uh, a virtuous part of you, and so it is uh, the essence of who you are that is independent of your material form, and... Right. I mean, I, I think it's, it makes about as much sense as ghosts. Uh, in, in fact, it makes less sense than ghosts, because at least ghosts can go everywhere because they're immaterial. But somehow your soul is bound to your flesh. The concept of the soul, like many things that came out of religion, the concept of the soul makes a kind of sense in that we clearly can do some absolutely astounding things as bipedal mammals uh, we can just do unbelievably amazing things the idea that the few pounds of meat sitting on top of our brain stems can write plays and compose music and design massive engineering structures and <laughs> overcome history and heal itself and and i mean the things that the brain can do are Literally beyond comprehension, because I think we're only scratching the surface of what the brains can do uh, over time. So given that we have such unbelievable, literally universe-spanning potential locked inside a little cave called the skull, is something that's so hard to comprehend that I think people needed a metaphor or an analogy which made sense to them. So so I think that people f- needed to to have a metaphor to encapsulate within their mind how much the mind was capable of, and so the idea that we have some essence to us that is beyond the material kind of makes sense. Also, of course, we can create works of art that transcend our own physical lives, and by works of art, I don't just mean paintings or whatever. It can also be the personalities of your children. Um, but but most importantly, we can create things that outlast us. We can write a journal of our own lives which last forever. And uh, we can uh, tell stories which last forever. This is unique in the animal kingdom as far as I know. I mean, certainly no other animals can write. They don't have an oral tradition of storytelling and so on. So... We have the capacity to live on through the works that we do in a way that is unique to us as a species, and there is a kind of immortality uh, in the works that you create, particularly now, of course, when everything lasts forever. I was just reading about Churchill and how Churchill always felt that he was destined for greatness, and therefore he kept everything that he ever wrote uh, or received and so on, and this, of course, has created an immense treasure trove of arcana, so to speak, that people can claw their way through and attempt to shape. And um, so so I, I think that it sort of makes sense, back in the day, to have a sort of anthropomorphic explanation for the wonder of the brain that, that seems so much larger than what's going on inside our skull. And in, in the same way that we need an anthropomorphic explanations for other things, like um, lightning is the anger of the gods, or... Um, a tsunami is the anger of the, the sea gods or, or whatever it is that's, that's going right. on, uh, or, or disease is, is punishment for wickedness and so on. We, we couldn't find a real answer, and the prejudices of the time did not allow for a real answer to be pursued because we came, we came birthed out of superstition. Now, right, right, right. Uh, so let me just sort of make one, one last point, and I'm stealing this directly from, from Sam Harris – Thank you, Sammy boy. The pipes, the pipes are calling. Well, he said that um, the brain is who we are. Uh, we are an eff- a Consciousness is an effect of, of the brain. Like gravity is an effect of matter or life is an effect of particular cellular activities. And he said, well, we can see this very clearly, right? So if people have brain damage to particular areas of the brain, with quite clear predictability, we know what deficiencies they're going to experience right, right? So there are people who ha- have damaged a particular part of the brain and they can't recognize faces they can recognize everything else they just can't recognize faces so they have to keep being reintroduced to people that they know they might be able to recognize the liver spot pattern on the back of the hand they can't recognize the faces Oliver Sacks has done some uh, great writing in this area which I actually um, I did uh, I adapted to plays many years ago as an exercise in theater school so we can see with great regularity that when parts of the brain get damaged, memory or particular functions of the brain go dark as well. And so the idea that if the entire brain goes dark, you know, suddenly, I think as Sam says, suddenly we, we float up into the heavens and can have conversations with our grandmother uh, is, is ludicrous. You know, it's like, it's like saying, well, if I have I a have hundred lights in a row and I turn each light off and each light goes on, and when I turn the last light off… All the lights suddenly come on, spin around, turn into disco balls, and float up into the skies like UFOs. Well, this would not be a valid theory of science, and it can't be a valid theory of consciousness.
1: Right, yeah, I can see the the, the contradiction in, in, in that kind of line of thinking. But The, um, the kind of three things that, that got to me, though, uh, to ask me this question is that, I'm not sure if I'm getting this right, but did you say that... Uh, that uh, the life is kind of an emergent property of 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 organisms at some mm-hmm. point, okay that, thats that was that was one of the themes that they got me to ask this question and and I also thought that the soul did exist empirically because of the conservation of matter, where you can neither destroy nor create matter I, th- I think that's how that's how it goes.
0: so it's a little so, more specific or a little more general I guess sorry it's um that um, uh, matter. Uh, matter can't be created or destroyed. It can be transferred to energy or back to matter, but it, it, yeah, it can't be created or destroyed uh, in that sense. So.
1: Right, right, right. And I think there, there has been some studies, I'm not sure how credible they are, but where they measure someone's weight before and after death, and they notice a change in the weight, very minute, but they notice a change there. And the belief is that that is the soul leaving the body
0: a, I mean, a, I, a, I I know it's a, a 21 grams. Or so. I mean, I, th- I think that stuff is, is nonsense and, w- and wishful thinking. The fact that energy leaves the body or energy diminishes or ends within the body doesn't mean that something has left, right? So, and and I, I'll give you a sense of, of how primitive a thinking that is. And I don't mean to say that your friend's thinking or your thinking is primitive, but right. if I have a radio and I'm in some distant pick me Amazon Bush Tribe or something like that. They don't know anything about technology. And I have a radio, and I switch it on, and there's voice, as you say, it's tuned to a talk station, and the voices come out. People are like, oh, there's a man trapped inside the box, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, they listen in great wonderment, and then, you know, after an hour or two, the batteries die out, right? There's no more battery life, and so the voices stop. Well, most of them would say, well, the spirit of the radio has left the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The soul of the radio has gone up to radio heaven, where it's all FDR all the time, right? But but, but, but it would be – all that's happened is that the energy that runs the radio has run out. But nothing has left. It's just the energy is, is done, right? It's dissipated. It's been transformed. I mean, the energy in the batteries has been transferred or transformed into – uh, sound waves in the air, which has you know turned into energy, and and then it just runs out. But nothing's left. It's just it's just done.
1: Yeah, but does that energy have some kind of a weight or some kind of a mass of some sort that would would create a reading in a in a scale that measures weight?
0: Well, energy and mass. I mean, as far as I understand it, this is the Einsteinian revolution. E equals mc squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Energy and mass are interrelated. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but but when the energy has, has run out, the energy has run out. Right, right. You know, when, when your fridge breaks, you know, um, I remember many years ago, I was trying to chip away the ice built up mm-hmm. in a fridge and I busted through the freon tubes in the freezer and the fridge died. It died. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that the ghost of the fridge now floated up to the sky. Okay, okay,
1: and say, for example, like, what about things like inspiration? like I think you were talking about art at some point in this conversation, and where where does where is it you know people gain this inspiration oh i I was inspired to make this painting of whatever you
0: know? well, I, I think to, an easier question is where do our dreams come from every night? I mean, you don't have to be an artist to tell stories that are incredibly vivid and powerful i mean there's no uh, there's no entertainment system that can compete with the mere nightly dreams. I so had a dream last night know. that uh, I was trying to get medicine from a doctor and the security guards were trying to catch me in the, hotel, in the hospital because it was closed. Although I knew the doctor had the medicine and I was hiding in a closet and we were sort of playing chase and all that. It was actually kind of a fun dream. But where, where does that come from? And the answer is, well, who knows? I mean, people are still researching it. They're still trying to figure it out. The one thing that is true, at the moment, is that the human brain almost never gets to develop naturally and normally. I mean, it's so incredibly distorted right. through religion, through spankings, through yellings, through public schools, uh, and all this media nonsense and lies. And I mean, so the brain is growing up under immense pressure. You know, the 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 it's the brain now is like it's like the body <laughs> during. Like the Roman Empire, when the average life expectancy was 21, and uh, people grew up malnourished, they grew up wrongly nourished, they grew up with war and famine and plague, and you know, I mean, it was a mess. And you say, man, that human body is crap. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. And now, you know, average life expectancy up here in Canada is like 70 to 80 years old, from men right. to to women, or something like that, because the bo- the body, at least, is getting more of heck of a lot more of what it needs than it that it used to. 2000 years ago. And we we're, we're that way with the brain. So we don't know what the brain is like in its natural state because the brain the brain fundamentally is an organ to be harvested by planting lies and contradictions and bullying and so on. It gets domesticated to tyrants of the superstitious and the secular kind. And so right. to look at human society, it's it's best to look at it as a big field of brains that are being uh, constantly clipped and snipped like bonsai plants. So, in terms of how the brain works, we don't really know yet. Because how the brain works is its adaptation to trauma at the moment. Yeah. It's sort of like studying the feet of Chinese women 150 years ago and saying, well, these things are really weird because the toes curl back into the heel. And like, what What the hell is – what kind of foot is that? Well, it's the kind of foot that it is adapted to incredible stress and trauma and pain. Right, right. And right. so throughout yeah, – in particular, course. I mean, to some degree it's better in the West uh, and it has gotten over time in, in some ways, in some ways not. But you look at things like um, – places like Africa and stuff like that. I mean, my God in heaven. I mean, the, the, the stress and trauma that the brain is going through. Renders it. I mean, it's like being a biologist and and trying to study animals in a brutal Russian circus. You know, where the animals are beaten and whipped and fed vodka and and taunted and teased and burned and you know, I mean, right. I don't know. Not not to pick on Russia. I mean, but wherever animals are caged and tortured and brutalized, studying that and thinking you know something about the habits of wild animals, well, you don't. We are not. In our natural state, we are not in a state of freedom. We're certainly not in a state of consistency, and consistency is the main purpose of the brain. Universality is what differentiates us. Concepts and universality differentiate us, I think, the most from the animals. So, in terms of studying the brain right now, I don't think people are aware of the degree to which we are studying a caged and brutalized uh, brain, and uh, it's really not. You know, wh- what is the relationship of the unconscious going to be in a world? where children are not eternally lied to about just about, just about everything. And, and what is going to happen to the amygdala in a, in a world where 90% of children aren't being hit by their parents on a regular basis? Well, it's hard, it's hard to know. It's really hard to know. But I'm absolutely convinced that it will be vastly different from uh, what it is now. So anyway, that's just a minor sort of aside, but I hope that... Makes some sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I figure at some point, yeah, when we when we stop when we stop perpetuating the slave mentality kind of thing, that uh, I think humanity can reach its highest and best potential. But in the meantime, though, you know, I guess based on based on some of the stuff I've I've seen in the videos, we're just gonna be enslaved until what they can extract as much dollars out of us as they can. I guess, right?
0: Well, I I don't think it's quite that inevitable. I think there's there's quite a lot that we can do. Uh, and um, sort of working on something to explain that a little bit more, but you know we're not we're not doomed to to live live this existence forever. But it's going to take a, a peculiar form of courage to extract us. Um, you know, the courage to um, to not pass along the tendencies for sociopathy that are right. so prevalent in society, and that means uh, you know just disrupting. Sociopathy is a virus that reproduces itself through abusive behaviors, both verbal, physical, sexual, and emotional. Right. And so right. if we look at uh, so the sociopathic uh, tendencies, which you know seem to affect about 60% of the population, and the pure sociopathy, which is 4 to 5%, depending if you lump in psychopathy in the same category, uh, and they have a disproportionate effect on society because the higher you go, statistically, in society, the more sociopaths you... They cluster at the top, right? Uh, and yeah. so the more sociopaths you tend to encounter... Uh, And they wield a disproportionate amount of, uh, you know, in the same way that um, a lion exerts a disproportionate influence over the habits of gazelle, uh, sociopaths Mm -hmm. exhibit a disproportionate influence and effect over society. It's not just my opinion. This is the opinion of quite a number of uh, people who have infinitely more expertise in the field than I do. But the transmission mechanism for sociopathy is, is clear. It transmits itself. It reproduces itself like a gene. It reproduces itself through abuse. And so if you can disrupt the abuse, then you disrupt the reproducing mechanism, the, the transmission mechanism for the virus. And, uh, and then you either try to get people to not be sociopathic or you quarantine them in your life, right? So you don't have yeah. these kinds of people in your life and that way your children grow up. When you have disrupted the transmission mechanism called abuse And you do that by getting angry, at least statistically that's the best predictor for ending the cycle of abuse. And then if you cannot reform those who are sociopaths or sociopathic tendencies, then you quarantine them from your life. This is exactly what you do with any illness, right? So, you know, these are the steps that need to be taken in the same way that uh, you wash your children's hands like crazy when they're in a hospital or have been anywhere near a sick person. Uh, you, you just disrupt the transmission mechanism and is far more dangerous than a cold or a flu. So anyway, that's just, I mean, that's a very brief overview, but that's the general idea.
1: Okay. Okay. I think I'm starting to get a good understanding of what you believe on the soul too. All right. I look, I look some more into it and and, and see what happens.
0: Uh, and let me but just mention one other thing. I appreciate your question. Um, sure. I've sort of been meaning to at some point, I will write a, a short book about you know stuff that I wish I'd known <laughs> when I was younger. Um, my experience has been that people who believe in ESP are a little crazy. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. been my experience. Like, I, when I was younger, you know, I mean, I dated a lot. And uh, I always come across these women who, you know, believed in ESP and a few who believed in reincarnation. And I just kind of viewed it as a little quirk. But I
1: think you it's, had one in the story. Uh, you were 17 years old and you had a woman who dated ESP. You might have been in a... I believe she had ESP. might have been in uh, real-time relationships or something, I think, right?
0: Let's, let's say I was 17. That makes me sound a lot better. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Right. Uh, and, it's, um, but it's, it's deeply it's, nutty. Kind of, like, it's, it's deeply nutty. And um, uh, it's, uh, it, it's such wish fulfillment and such anti-empiricism and confirmation bias. You have to shield yourself from a huge amount of rational thinking and scientific reality. In order to continue to believe in this sort of phenomenon, it's kind of narcissistic in a way. I mean, I don't use that in any technical sense, but it's kind of like you, you then become sort of, ooh, I, you know, did I predict this? Did someone else predict that? And you get this rush of, of uh, this thrill if you find out something that may have been predicted. And I mean, you end up kind of navel gazing a lot, looking at the mechanics of your own brain and, and reinterpreting coincidences as. Basic confirmations of your unreality and so on. So it's. I'm just telling you that this is my opinion. I don't prove this or yeah. anything. But um, I remember a woman I was dating who thought she was a psychic. I said, "Well, that's fantastic because now we're going to make a fortune because James Randi has for 30 years had a million dollar prize to anyone who can prove psychic phenomenon in uh, right. in any kind of controlled setting. Like man, we are we we are rich. <laughs> And of course what's the answer you get it doesn't work that way. <laughs> right? Can I tell you
1: tell the truth I wasn't And, and that's, that's, on that
0: one. Yeah, that's but that's really disturbed, right? Which is to say I I have this power that I know is true. Oh, well let's verify it. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, that's um that's very self-deceptive. It's very manipulative. Right. It's it's to me it's it's really quite disturbed. Uh, And I'm I'm not saying that as a rule for everyone all the time. I'm just telling you one of the things that I wish I had figured out when I was younger was that crazy beliefs are not little quirks. They are pretty deep in the personality. In fact, uh, they really are in many ways the bedrock of the personality. And that's some pretty dangerous stuff for your reality. So um, I just... Want to point out, it's sort of an organized delusion that is is actually quite quite dangerous uh, to you and of course to their, themselves as well. But I just wanted to sort of mention that.
1: All right, I guess I had to look at my friends a little more closely then. But well, hey, yeah, just you know,
0: ask them for the evidence and, and point out that there's this million-dollar prize. I mean, you know, if somebody says, I've, you know, I've got a lottery ticket, and you say, hey, I just saw that that one has a million dollars on it, what's the first thing they right. do? They run right out and cash that sucker in, <laughs> right? <laughs> Whereas if you say, hey, you know, we just got to talk to the amazing Randy, you will be about the most famous human being who's ever lived to prove this. And, you know, I mean, if somebody can prove it, then someone can prove it. But um, you, you'll be rich beyond your measure, you'll be famous beyond measure, and you will do a huge amount of good to advance science and our understanding of the world if you can prove extrasensory phenomenon. It would be an incredible boon to the world. And then people say, well, it doesn't work that way. It's like, well, if it resists proof, how could you say it's true?
1: Right, I mean, the, the, the deal with ESP, what I thought about it is because if, if the concept of soul exists, and there's always that argument that oh, you know, all the souls are connected as one kind of entity, and we're just kind of fractal beings of that. And so they were like, you know, because we're all connected, we can tell what each other's thinking, we can tell what each other's going to do. I, 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 I couldn't quite make sense of that. So that's, that's why I was, I well, was
0: trying another to... Thing try to be, uh, another thing to be wary of is people who use scientific terms with no understanding of them. Like, I have very limited understanding of scientific terms. I'm not a scientist, but I try to keep it more or less accurate, or at least talk about my limitations. So, you know, people who say we're all fractal shards of one consciousness, they're just using this word fractal, right? I mean, it's like saying that Seal is a mathematician because he uses the word fractal in um, the song Crazy. Through a fractal on a breaking wall. I see you, my friend. And right. but right, right, right. He, he just used the word. I mean, it's like it's like the way people use quantum. You know, it's like oh, okay. ah. So the, the the astrophysicist prize must go to the writers of Quantum Leap because they use that word on the TV show. I mean, people just use these words, and it, it's a really it's a it's really a sinister hijacking to use the word fractal or to use the, you know to use scientific terms or to think that the theory of relativity has something to do with ethics uh, or to think that, that the quantum leap somehow uh, you know, or Schrodinger's cat or the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle or Gödel, Escher and Bach and all this kind of stuff, to think that this has something to do with how we live our lives um, and, and ethical or moral choices or, or reality or consciousness or, or whatever it is, it is a hijacking of... Uh, the, The virtue of science, the humility of science, in order to push a very crazy and disturbed personal agenda that's highly manipulative, again, belief in ESP is just a virus. And the earlier the trauma that somebody experiences and the less they admit it, in other words, the more it transfers into some other nonsense which shields them from their own trauma, the more dangerous it is because the more unconscious somebody's trauma is, the more it's going to reproduce itself in you right people's personalities okay. and in particular people's traumas are highly contagious highly contagious and they can they spread themselves either by you becoming somebody who believes in the soul and reincarnation and uh, psychic soul bubbles or whatever it is that that people talk about or ufo's or right. bigfoot or you know all this you know crazy stuff that goes on in the world it, it either you get sucked into it or you harden against it and you end up in despair, cynicism, and scorn for the world that you have to live in. And so they're the very dangerous things to expect People's crazy beliefs are very dangerous. You should wear a hazmat suit before you go in to these kinds of things. Seriously, they're, they're toxic. They are toxic yeah. brain patterns that reproduce uh, through manipulation. So be very, very careful around people's crazy beliefs. Uh, it's, it's, it's an essential self-protection tip that I wish I had known more about when I was younger. Now – People who believe that we are all part of one, that that uh, we all affect each other, and so on, they—my um, guess is, and I think it's more than a guess—they uh, would have experienced trauma in infancy, significant trauma or abandonment in intimacy, and this comes straight out of Freud. Which doesn't mean that it's true. I just, you know, <laughs> I always try to give credit where credit is due where I remember. Uh, but Freud talks about this oceanic feeling, this this idea that, that you are we are one with the universe and so on. But this is an infant, this is an infant's experience of the universe. The universe being composed mostly of mom, uh, or in my case, mom and dad, and the oneness that occurs, the lack of sense of identity, this feeling of spiritual bliss through unity and so on. Well, if those needs are met, then you move on, and they don't hang around in your brain as eternal needs to be filled, but in Uh, An infant's state of mind, psychic phenomena seems quite real, right? I am upset. They don't even know they're crying, right? I am upset and magically my mother is there and magically my mother knows what I need and then I feel better and we melt into each other and remember the skin-on-skin contact that is so essential for the growth, literally the physical growth and survival of the baby, babies that are not held, just die, Right, And uh, so the the sort of physical unity and the sense that other people know what you want even though you don't know what you want and they can provide it and other people can read your thoughts, this is all very early infant experiences. And people who hang on to this stuff as adults are doing so because the needs were not met as infants. And if needs aren't met as infants, that produces character-based traumas. Not like… I have, a, you know, I have a character and I have a trauma. You know, like I have, I have a little scar on my thumb, right? So I have a thumb and I have a little scar. But right. this is like having no thumb. It doesn't regrow. So, and just pointing this out, and again, I'm not saying this is all true, proven, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying that this is stuff that I wish people had told me when I was younger. And unfortunately, it's not, it's not common coinage. And I, I think it should be. We should be very wary of people with uh, early traumatized and very disturbed beliefs.
1: So just to kind of draw my conclusion from this one then am i am I getting the feeling here that uh the the crazy beliefs on e s p the soul whatever is that some kind of a sublimation of of the person's uh childhood trauma taking taking uh the form of of these beliefs and then number two are they using i guess are they using that to manipulate me or or are they are they stuck in some kind of a childlike state of mind i guess because of their needs not being met?
0: I think those are all fair approximations of of what I said. Um, Matt, I don't want to correct you on every minor detail because that's really annoying, and I don't have every minor detail to correct you on since I don't have any real facts to to talk about with reference to these theories other than some tendencies. But I think that's good. I mean, I I think talk to people about their early childhoods, about their early experiences. If you want to figure out where people's core beliefs come from, I think that it's very important to talk about their early childhood because – Very, very few – I mean, none of us are born blank slates. I mean, sorry, none of us uh, achieve the the, the philosophical time of life without having been impacted positively or negatively or both, of course, by our environment. And if people don't understand the connection between environment and who they are, then it's really hard to take their ideas seriously because then it's like somebody who rides up to you on a horse – And you say, well, that's a really nice horse. And they say, no. What what are you talking about? I'm not not riding a horse. I'm just – I'm a really fast runner and a really high jumper. And I can go (laughs) (laughs) – and I like apples and and so on, right? I mean somebody sitting on a horse who says that they're not on a horse is not a healthy person. And people who think that their beliefs are not somehow – did not somehow come from their early childhood experiences – do not have enough knowledge, self knowledge, knowledge of the facts of how personality develops. They're taking claim for something that is, in a sense, not theirs. It's, anyway, right. so I mean, I'll, I'll just give you one very brief example, then we can move on to the next caller. So uh, I'm different from other people in my family. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm <laughs> different from other people in my family. Now, I don't know for sure because there were no video cameras recording everything that happened to me as an infant. But when I was uh, a, a baby, uh, right after I was born, my mother collapsed into postnatal depression so severe that she was hospitalized for months. I mean, that's how – I mean, inert. She was hospitalized for months. Right. And I was given to uh, a, a nanny. And that nanny and I, according to all of the scattered reports I've heard over the years, had – a deep, abiding, and significant bond. Right. She loved me as a baby. I'm sure I was a great baby. I mean, who wouldn't love a baby who looks almost exactly like Winston Churchill? Uh, as, <laughs> as Winston Churchill pointed out, almost all babies do. <laughs> but uh, yeah. w- uh, she bonded with me in a very powerful, deep, and significant way. And, and there was such a bond that years later, she was quite young, but years later, when she had a baby... She called him Stefan. She gave him my name because there was such a strong bond between us. Now, do we think that that gave me some capacity to weather the storms of my family in a way that other members of my family, I believe, were not able to? Uh, My brother was born in Africa and had a nanny who was very depressed, a very depressed local woman. Um, I assume no bonding. I've seen pictures of her. She sure didn't look very happy. And Hmm. uh, so these were two very different beginnings. Does that have an effect on how it is that I can hopefully reproduce some of these beneficial aspects of bonding? Um, Does that – is that – you know, the fact that I bonded so well with a caregiver uh, for those first crucial months and uh, so on, That well. This is important stuff uh, relative to other people, and I'm aware of it, but it's important for people to be aware of this as a whole. This doesn't mean that this is all destiny, although it can be. I mean, if if the theories around sociopathy and psychopathy are true, then these conditions are incurable. In fact, I was just reading a a study about a a Canadian researcher in the 1960s who set up a, a treatment program for... Uh, sociopaths and psychopaths that, I just use the terms interchangeably, as many researchers do, not that I'm a researcher, but, um, and, and he tried to, he gave them LSD, they were naked encounter sessions, they were, you know, marathon 18-hour therapy sessions and so on, uh, and in attempts, and they felt that they were making real progress, okay. and then uh, the the program was shut down over ethics concerns, and... What what happened was somebody years later followed up on the people who were in this program, and they found that the re- the recidivism rate or the rate of reincarceration for sociopaths in general is about 60%, and uh, for the uh, people who were treated under this program, it was 80%. In other words, this this uh, therapy and, and what, you know, whatever was, was tried uh, made them worse. In other words, it was a finishing school for psychopaths, uh, because uh, as one of them said, it said, oh, that was great, because it taught me a lot about... What people mean by empathy, which meant I was much more able to manipulate people. So right. there does seem to be an incurable aspect to certain kinds of human evil, uh, and that is truly tragic. But um, for, for most of us, that's not not the case. So anyway, just wanted okay. to mention that.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, uh, I'll let you get to the next call. I'm sorry, I kind of tied you up for a bit. Uh,
0: no, no, no problem. I, My choice.
1: If I if Thank I you. if I could get more in-depth in depth in a listener conversation at some point, I don't know maybe, but. Uh, for
0: another time again. oh yeah listen so, so people are sort of asking me um, about listener conversations love the listener conversations so you know I'm, I'm always if, you know where I can fit it in I'm, I'm very eager to do them uh, and I really appreciate people's uh, uh, trust and, and all that uh, people say can I pay you for them and the answer is you can't <laughs> you can't pay me for a listener conversation look I mean if it's a great conversation and you want to donate that's fine uh, but um, no I don't uh, I don't I don't want to do that uh, and um, so uh, I'm, I'll never charge for listening listener conversation, never have. If you want to donate, yeah, of course, right? If you don't want to, that's fine. Uh, I generally like them to okay. be able to go public, so don't use names and identifying characteristics. But in the end, that is always your choice. And if you tell me ahead of time, I want to listen to conversation and I never want it to be public, I will still try and fit it in. Though with slightly lower priority to the ones... That can become show. So I just wanted to sort of mention right. that you can just email me host at freedomainradio.com. Let me know your time zone and when you want to chat, and we'll try and figure it out.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much.
0: All right. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. See you around.
0: All right. Uh, next up today, we have Steve.
2: Hello. Hello. Hey, Steph. Um, hey, well, can I ask you, uh, I got a few questions here. My first one is, um, I've been getting, trying to get in the good habit of, when I'm wanting to find someone I'm interested in, you know, with what they're doing, I like to ask, what would be, like I like that book recommendation. so for you, what, what would be like maybe the number one, or maybe you can give me two, maybe three, but the best books you can think of on the topic of self-knowledge?
0: Uh, those are those are great questions. I'm I'm going to defer it because I'm going to um, uh, I'm going to put out early next year, like in January. I'm going to put out a page. I, I mean, I get so many requests for the library, the recommended library of reading, and so uh, I'm going to put out a whole. You know, this is what I've read in philosophy. This is what I've read in history. This is what I liked in science. This is what I know read in psychology or self knowledge or whatever. So uh, I'm going to put that together. The most influential book that I read in terms of self-knowledge, I think, was the first one, which was The Psychology of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. So uh, that that's one that I would thoroughly recommend. In fact, I did read it again uh, with my wife. We read it together uh, about nine years ago. My goodness, do you know? <laughs> January the 11th, 2013, just in a couple of weeks, we are going to be celebrating, and a celebration it shall be, our 10th year wedding anniversary. Wow. Amazing. I mean, I realize for our lizard rulers who live for thousands of years, that's just a drop in the bucket. For, for It's quite a, quite a substantial chunk for me. So. But um, I mean, I think the Nathaniel Brandon stuff is, is great. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's almost nothing you can pick up of his that, that isn't of value in, in some way or another. So I'd really, I'd really recommend it. So I hope that helps.
2: Oh thanks um yeah I've heard uh that exact book recommended before so I definitely better get it and really the the meat of my question here I really want to get on is um your view of the subconscious I mean I've been reading about it and I hear it's mentioned a lot and I, do you consider this like um I mean do you consider it a useful abstraction like I can see how it kind of is. Like, I, I don't understand why there should be a split in the mind because it seems like it is just one thing. It's your mind. Like, why have we created this um, unidentifiable subsect called the subconscious? So, do you think it's like a useful abstraction or, I mean, or is it like mystical foo-foo?
0: <laughs> well, if it's a useful abstraction, it must be describing something real. And so, uh, I, I certainly don't believe it's mystical, mystical frou-frou, and the unconscious can be studied, right? The unconscious can be studied, and that's um, that's really important. So for instance, the unconscious uh, has been calculated having, I don't know, it's some crazy number, I can't remember, 20,000 20, times more processing power than the conscious mind. In general circumstances, we, we do want the brain to be split up into various categories, right? I don't want to sit here every day and say, oh, right, breathe in, breathe out, shit, breathe in, breathe out. Oh, my God, I can't go to sleep because I won't remember to breathe in and breathe out, right? So we want the body to – like the, the, deep, the deep base of the brain to regulate breathing and, and heart rate and, and the, whatever, the, <laughs> whatever goes down I'm down there in the basement. We don't want to concentrate on that stuff. We do want to translate skills into automatic behavior. I mean, I don't want to sit there and have as much difficulty riding a bike the 10,000th time as I do the third time, right? So we do want to push down skills like language, uh, like like walking, <laughs> like tennis, like whatever. We, don't, we want to push those skills down into the automatic part of the brain. And really, the skills acquisition, which seems to take about 10,000 hours, is generally about pushing down Right, so This is why Eric Clapton doesn't need somebody to put his fingers in the right place when he's doing a concert because he's, he's just wailing away. And jamming to me is always – it's magic. It's amazing. And people are amazed by what I do, which is great. But I'm truly amazed by what musicians do. That's just fantastic because my musical skills, even after 10 years of violin when I was a kid, remain uh, uh, rudimentary. It's a caveman's understanding of physics. <laughs> so uh, so uh, there, there definitely are um, automatic aspects of the brain. And skills acquisition is about going from conscious concentration to unconscious uh, ex- excellence. So uh, I think that we can definitely say that there is an unconscious. It actually can be studied and, and mapped. And, um, of course, the original idea was Freud had was that where people hesitated or stumbled over word associations and so on, that you could find out what was going on in their unconscious. He believed the, the, the dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. And I'm going to be very ridiculously brief here because it's such a huge topic. But um, (laughs) I believe that our unconscious generally is the zombie land graveyard of truth in in our lives. So we are told lots of lies as children, and we're told them very convincingly, and yet we still know the truth. We are given huge amounts of morally contradictory behavior when we're children – we get hit being told don't hit. We get hit being told this hitting will keep you safe, just like we are taxed to protect our property. Ooh, it's the same thing writ large. But we are told a lot of lies that we're given massive amounts of contradictions, and we can't then slip into contradictory planet. I right? mean, It's like schizophrenia or something, right? We, we still need to walk and talk and not eat poison and eat food and not attempts to breathe water and so on right so we can't go into country so we have to stay in reality land, but we are stuffed full of propaganda and the propaganda has to inform our behavior otherwise we get attacked right if you uh, if you don't want to go to church or you don't stand for the national anthem or you don't praise the troops or whatever then you are attacked and children really can't afford to be attacked by the tribe because generally uh, a disobedient child was killed as you can see very clearly in the Old Testament, where God says, hey, if your child is disobedient, uh, you know, just pick up a couple of rocks and stone him to death, because remember, God's all about thou shalt not kill. So, uh, the unconscious is where we put the corpses of truth slain by the blunt cudgels of culture, and they never die. And so, this is why I said earlier, what will the brain look like where we don't have to conform to madness in order to survive well it will look enormously different there still will be an unconscious because we do want to automate the things that that we get good at and uh, but it will look vastly different than it does today i mean i think in in even in the scans it will look different you know the parts of the brains that light up and go dark in various circumstances We'll go different, and we know this is the case, or scientists know this is the case, for instance, with you know, not to harp on the same topic, but psychopathy, of course. You know, they've done studies where they take, um, and this is one of the first studies, I think it was by Robert Hare, where he took a prison population back when you could give them incredibly painful electric shocks, and he said he would put criminals down uh, on a slab wire them up to these electrical devices, and he'd say, I'm going to count down from 10, and when I hit zero, I'm going to give you a very big and painful electric shock. And so he would not counting down, and on the non-psychopathic prisoners, they'd start sweating, their heart rate would go up, they would like, oh my god, I'm going to get a shock, that's terrible. And then afterwards he'd say, I'm going to do it again, and they spiked even higher, because they were afraid of the next one, right, and that's that, that could be very easily measured. Uh, and it wasn't just brain scans, although the brain scans were there, but, you know, sweat sensors and heart rate sensors and skin, sensor, skin temperature sensors and so on. Now, when he put another prisoner down who was classified as a psychopath and he said, I'm going to count down from 10 and I'm going to give you a big-ass electric shock, he would count down and the psychopath would not change His physiology would not change, there would be no anticipation, there would be no fear. No increased heart rate, no increased sweating, no anxiety, um, fearless. There'd be then a spike of reaction when the electric shock hit, and then afterwards when he said he was going to do it again, exactly the same thing. No anticipation, no fear, no concern. Astounding. In fact, when he submitted his results to a scientific journal, they were sent back unpublished with the guy saying, look, I... I've had a look at these brain scans and these data that you call psychopathic this these these can't come from a human being. It's impossible. but they do. So anyway, I, I hope that helps.
2: Yeah, it makes me think um you know the we'll call them the elite, the ruler type. they probably um do believe they have a much greater round freedom than the uh, the feeling public who actually have empathy and care about other people. So I can imagine that, you know, being in their shoes, thinking uh, these people that I rule over, they're chained by their emotions, but only I am truly free because I'm free from all guilt, shame, and anticipation. It's, uh, yeah, it's, you, yeah, it's funny. You were like not to go off on a rant about psychopathy. <laughs> you have been, you have been going, uh, but I understand because I'm like that too. When I read a lot about something, I just want to talk about it, talk about it. But, um, anyways, one, one, little, one last quick thing here. Um, um, you know, there's, there's, well, I'm try to make this quick, but the view my view of um how emotions affect the physical body. I think last time I I do you know, I, I talked I asked you something like this, but I, I didn't make my point very well. It's um if Having a uh, severe emotional stress can cause ulcers. And they say in some cases people, you know, who get cancer, that's entirely a result of an extremely stressed life. If the, uh, your emotional state can cause physical illness in the body, do you think it's possible that someone who, through hard work and therapy, they got control of their emotional state? Can you see that how, how possibly having Healing effect on their body.
0: I mean, I, I think so. Again, this is all just speculation, at least on my part. I don't know of any studies, uh, but uh, it seems logical, of course, that if, particularly, the stress hormone cortisol, which is associated with uh, problems in the brain in excess and many other ailments, uh, if if through therapy, meditation, you know, you name it. Uh, you can lower your stress levels. It would seem seem logical that it would have a beneficial effect on health for sure, which is, of course, one of the reasons why uh, it's important to uh, try and stay calm, relaxed, and happy uh, even in the face of adversity. And uh, once you get the trick of it, it's not not too hard.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for the call, man. And uh, one last point I really want to Thank you again and uh you know doing great work and uh, I am sure you're used to everyone uh kissing your ass but I think you deserve it. so uh good work and I can say you've you've definitely you changed the course of my life because now I uh I'd say you and um I don't know if you've heard of he's it, kind of cheesy, but uh the one guy he's a motivational speaker, Tony Robbins.
0: Like he is a little bit banana cheesy, hands
2: but, um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go. But, uh, I, I kind of the way I look at it, it's like, well, what do I want to do with my life? And I see this that, that Tony Robbins dude, like, I, there's some stuff I like about him because he, um, tries to, like, market, um, positive, like, self esteem and psychology to people. I mean, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff he says, but the fascinating fact to me is he's made himself pretty wealthy just by marketing his ideas to people. And you know what? i that's what it, you know, I was thinking, what else would I want to do with my life? Like Ron Paul said, you know, for fighting for liberty, I mean, what else is there to do? So I, I want to say that, you know, you know, I hope, you know, just let you know, I want to, I, my whole goal is to take the philosophy of non-aggression and respect for property, and I want to apply it in a way that I can make a living out of it. I want to say thank you, because... Um, if it weren't for you and a few other influences of a lot of audiobooks I've been listening to, I never would have realized that people can make a living by spreading ideas. I mean, well, you could be a pastor, but I don't want to spread the ideas.
0: Right, right. You want to be a carrier of healing, not... Right, and I appreciate that, and I don't know much about uh, Anthony Robbins. I think I've seen a speech of his or two, and you know, he seems pretty engaging. He certainly seems high-energy. Uh, and I guess, um, you know, it must be a little easier, perhaps, to have people uh, look up to you when you're nine feet tall and look like a piano-teeth Ken doll on steroids. But nonetheless, not to diss his <laughs> ideas, so, I mean, he does seem to try and get people to look more deeply into their lives and their origins and so on. Uh, I think he looks a little bit at people too individually rather than in their relationships. But, the, you know, who cares, right? I mean, you're good, good for him.
2: Yeah, he's a little mystical, but I, I think the guy's done his best. And it's just really, I mean, the... Wow, the guy is—he's making good money with people, you know. Those seminars—it's like, wow. Like, I should be able to do that with anarchy, you know. But, anyways, I'll let you go. Thanks, Steph. I appreciate the talk. You're very welcome. Bye bye.
0: All right. Next up today, we have a narco Pack.
3: Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I want to raise some objections to universal preferable behavior, your metaethical theory. Um, Fantastic. Well, I was outlining the proof which I think you offer, then check that that's okay, so I'm not strawmanning you. Um, you say that to argue against UPB is to show a universal preference for truth over falsity, therefore to deny UPB is to demonstrate UPB and assert it, therefore UPB is true because you can't deny it without resulting in a performative contradiction. Right. Is that your argument? Yes. Okay, um... These are my criticisms, I just want to see what you think of them. Um, One, by denying UPB, I'm not necessarily making a universal preference for truth over falsity. I am showing a particular preference against UPB. Um, So I could be arguing against UPB not because I believe it to be false, but because I think doing so is funny or it will give me kind of, I don't know, greater status in the society. Um, also, well, sorry, but then, but then you.
0: It's... Sorry, sorry, to interrupt. But let me just because okay. if I want to make sure if if you pile up too many objections, then we forget which one. So mm-hmm. let me let me start with the first one. So if you say, mm-hmm. I think that UPB is funny, or if you say no, I think I'm... that pretending to attack UPB will raise my status,
3: mm-hmm.
0: then that obviously is not an argument against UPB.
3: Yeah, I know, but I'm saying your reason for arguing it isn't necessarily a preference tree falsehood, i then accept then i say okay then let's move on the next wait wait premise. wait
0: sorry sorry this is important to distinguish right so if the motivation for the argument is immaterial to the content mm-hmm. of the argument right mm-hmm. right so okay, so yeah. someone That's could say um, you know blacks tend to have darker skin than whites now he could be the head of the kkk he might be some stone ass crazy nasty racist but Still, the argument is either true or false, right? The motives don't matter fundamentally when it comes to evaluating okay. the argument. Now, if somebody has made 100 crazy arguments, then you might say, I'm not going to evaluate 101 because <laughs> this person has a pattern. And so if, some, mm-hmm. like, so if somebody's motive for criticizing UPB is not material to the content of their argument, the moment they, ma- mm-hmm. they say that UPB is invalid or UPB is false or whatever – then they have invoked UPB because they're saying that theories should be consistent, theories should be true, and those theories which do not meet the standard of internal consistency or empirical evidence should be mm-hmm. abandoned uh, because they are false. Well, you've got truth, which is universal. You've got falsehood. You've got consistency, which is objective and universal. You have empirical evidence, which hopefully is objective and universal. And you're saying that um, uh, that we should infinitely prefer, prefer truth over a falsehood. so these are all universal standards
3: okay that um, makes your definition of universally preferable behavior far more clear thanks for that Um, the problem is is that so far we're only showing universal preference for matters of fact and the problem is how are you going to go from these matters of facts that we have preference for so for example a preference for truth um, a preference for factual and logical consistency Um, how do we go from that to making objective value statements this is the problem i have with UPB um, because it seems to be inferring... In sorry sorry to
0: interrupt. Let me just make sure I understand. So you're saying that we can have an objective and universal preference for truth over falsehood, but how do we use that to make value statements or value judgments?
3: We can have a universal preference um, for that, uh, for matters of fact. So I can say that I th- I think when arguing we should be concerned of the truth now that would be a value statement correct however if i'm just saying that i reject this theory because it's false or i accept this theory because it's true i'm not making a value statement and i can show you the moment you say
0: true sorry the moment you say true you're making a value statement because true has to be true according to universal objective standards right
3: that's not a value statement a sorry, so to say that, like that the like truth of a theory
0: must – sorry so, Sorry to interrupt, just to say – so let I me mean, make sure I understand. So if I say that the validity of an argument is dependent upon its conformity to universal standards of truth and evidence, and that theories must conform to universal standards of consistency, reason, and evidence – in order to be true, and we should reject theories which do not universally. And everyone is bound by that. That these are not value statements.
3: As um, apart from one at the end, though, is statements. And you can argue against UPB without having the statement at the end that as a human agent you ought to um, adhere to this principle. Uh, we can just say that I do adhere to this principle, and now I'm going to argue on this principle.
0: And is the principle something that somebody else should be bound by? In other words, like I have a principle called I like apple pie. Do I? Th- is it reasonable for me to argue that everyone ought to adhere to the principle I like apple pie?
3: Uh, no, but what about the pr- uh, principle of, say, uh, the rules of formal logic and what is a correct and what sorry, what's a valid or what's an invalid inference? Um that you can say everyone ought to apply to if they wish to uh, argument uh, have a logical argument. So you're not so if they don't want to have a logical argument, or well, they don't have to, you know, um, uh, abide by these logical rules. Uh, however, if they don't even want to argue logically, you know, <laughs> no point really talking to them. Um, so if they right. do have a desire... And they, sorry,
0: they're it, certainly it, not going to be constructing arguments against UPB if they're not interested in logic, right? Because if they say I don't, you know, I don't like the font that UPB is written in, people could say, "Okay, <laughs> I mean, maybe I do, maybe yeah. I don't," but that doesn't have any truth content other than a statement of their own personal subjective preferences or experiences. Yeah, that would right?
3: be a value statement. That would be a value statement. But the matter of fact that say UPB is an incorrect theory, um, that isn't a value one. And you don't. And when you argue that if you want to um, have true beliefs, then you ought to reject UPB. That is, does that you don't have to deal with the Azort problem then because you've got a goal based on a universal function. Um, but the problem is with ethics, we don't have such a goal. So my problem is with UPB is how do we go from the matter of fact that I have a universal preference for truth uh, to having this universal preference for value statements?
0: But we don't, we then, don't have to, uh, sorry, we, we don't, we don't, have to, um, we don't have to inflict a universal preference for truth and reason and evidence on other people. But th- they do that for themselves the moment that they make a truth claim. It's like, it's like saying, well, how do, I, um, how do I get people to wear clothes at the mall? Well, you know, pretty much always when they're at the mall, they're, they're in clothes, right? Or how do I get babies to stop driving tractors? Well... Babies don't drive fractures, right? So we don't have to worry about I – mean, I don't think we have to worry about getting everyone to do UPB, but the moment that people start making truth claims that other people are bound by uh, – and, and, and the moment somebody uses the word incorrect, then they're not saying – they're not stating a personal preference. They're not stating an aesthetic truth. They are stating a universal truth. This theory is incorrect. And, of course, incorrect is a, a value judgment.
3: Incorrect is not a value judgment. Um, it can be, but within the realm we're discussing, it wouldn't be. So if I say that your, uh, your answer to this mathematical equation is incorrect, that is not a value statement. Likewise, if I say X ethical sorry, it's not an incorrect. ethical.
0: Sorry, it's not an ethical statement, but it is a value statement for sure because there's a universal standard of truth which you're – uh, answer, your mathematical answer does not conform to, it's, it's not consistent, it's not whatever, right? I mean, it's, it's got internal contradictions or whatever. That's not a value it statement
3: is. as understood in Western analytic philosophy.
0: Well, again, sorry, if we're using the word value to mean both uh, conforms to the truth and morally good, then I agree that it's certainly not a moral statement. I mean, we can make, uh, we can say two and two make five, and we are not uh, doing an immoral thing. Uh, but uh, if uh, if we say that um, uh, 2 and 2 make 5 is false, then that certainly conforms to UPB, in that 2 and 2 makes 5 is false, and it's incorrect, and uh, therefore we should strive to get the correct version and discard the incorrect version.
3: Okay, I think the problem here is that um, you're saying that UPB uh, applies to these value statements, and then using that term to apply to things which includes the is-ought divide. And so I think what we can say is that UPB applies to is-statements, matters of fact, but doesn't apply to matters of value. So we can have UPB with regard to certain epistemological, epistemological considerations, say, for example, um, arguments about logic or about how do we you know learn knowledge, say, for instance, or questions of the soul, that type of issues. But when we're talking about these ethical questions... In what sense can UPB be applied? It seems to me that it can only be applied to these matters of fact and can't be applied to values, which means, well, in what sense is it an ethical theory then? Um, And in what sense is it useful for meta-effects?
0: ethics? is a fine, fine question. Uh, and I wish to pause to applaud you on your rigor. I wish to applaud you on, and, and without any condescension, it's not pat, pat, like good, <laughs> good. I mean, I appreciate your expertise. I really appreciate your interest, and I appreciate the criticisms. I just want to sort of point that out. Really <laughs> enjoying this. Um, now, what UPB does is it it says you know <laughs> we'll argue about whether it should or shouldn't, but it says basically that if ethical theories are subsumed under the kind of rigor that we would expect from a mathematical theory, then we can judge ethical theories with the same level of precision and rigor with which we would judge a uh, a theory of, of mathematics or a theory of science or whatever. In other words, there's not a separate category called ethics where logic dare not tread, right? I mean, because there's generally this discontinuity in ethics. Ethics is, you know, often considered to be cultural or it's an argument from effect. Uh, you know, like uh, oh, if we build the bridge according to this equation and the bridge stays up, I guess it's a good equation or this bridge has stayed up for 20 years, I guess it was a good equation. Uh, that's not how we do engineering. We do engineering by doing the math ahead of time and knowing ahead of time. Uh, there is generally in, in philosophy, as you say, I mean, the human is-ought divide has been very strong and the, of course the stranglehold of... Governments and priests over ethics has excluded it from strict rational examination, in my Experience. And I, I, I
3: agree with the fact that, uh, say, the public education system and the Catholic education system during uh, that, say, monks would have received wasn't particularly concerned with logic and reason and far more concerned with, you know, uh, a, a lack of logic, lies, propaganda, you know, and so on. Um, but I guess what, what we're discussing here is a matter of philosophical consideration rather than mm-hmm. historical consideration about how ethics just got completely, you know, uh, ruined, say, you could argue, by certain. Uh, kind of societal belief such as the societal belief that racism okay or slavery is okay whatever it is we're concerned here with philosophy and within philosophy philosophers do apply reason and logic to their ethical theories and if they didn't they would just be laughed out you know of of the philosophy world um, you know so if alistair mcintyre in his books is a famous modern uh, ethicist didn't all his arguments, say, weren't logically constructed, made logical fallacies, you know, he wouldn't be as well known as he is. Um, And so by stating that we ought to apply the same rigor and standard by which we consider non-ethical belief systems, so the rigor by which we discuss, say, God or epistemology, and applying that to ethics, you're, you're just repeating what philosophers have been saying for some time. Now the question is: How do we go from you know applying these rigor, which we seem to be able to apply to is statements incredibly well? You know, we can use a huge amount of logic and rigor to show that the is statement a soul exists just is, is quite a incredibly, um, well it's a very queer argument, doesn't really work. Loads of problems with a um, that you know are raised by many philosophers. Um, you know, but then when we try to deal, apply the same rigor to value statements, how you know it's far harder it seems. Um, and so I don't see how you applying UPB to value statements kind of uh, does, you know, saying anything more than philosophers have been saying for ages that we ought to apply reason to ethics.
0: Yes, I mean, I, I understand everything that you're saying, um, but I hope that you will understand that I'm talking to a general audience who may not have the history of philosophy uh, at oh, their yes, fingertips. So, yes. like,
3: I've tried, I've tried so to avoid I'm not
0: trying to say philosophy. that… Um, yeah, so so telling me that i'm not answering the question but really providing a framework which is common knowledge is actually not a very accurate statement that i'm dealing with uh, a layperson audience who doesn't have all of this stuff at their fingertips and what i'm pointing out is i'm saying that there's there is a divide right uh, the is or dichotomy is is you know split western philosophy um, in many ways, you could say pre as well, because the realm of ethics has been the realm of superstition uh, and the realm of, of science has remained the realm of science. Is the mind-body dichotomy, all this kind of stuff, right? So I'm just putting it in context as to why there is this issue for the general audience to so sort of be clear on that. And I realize I'm not answering the question yet. I'm just putting some sort of context in it so people understand why there's an issue. Now, um, the, is, uh, the is-ought dichotomy, um, I do not consider – to be particularly valid. I know particularly valid is not a very <laughs> clear way of putting it, but um, the is-ought dichotomy, I certainly accept in that just because a rock falls to the earth at 9.8 meters per second per second doesn't mean that it ought to or should or is bad if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and, and just because uh, a man kills another man, that, that's a fact, right, he killed this other man, there's nothing in that physical action that says it should be otherwise. There's no moral gravity, so to speak, like mm-hmm. in terms of the physics gravity, not the <laughs> emotional gravity. Yes, no, I right? There's no gravity which says that he shouldn't, right? You throw a ball up and it falls back to the ground because, as Aristotle said, that's where it wants to be, right? Because that's, that's the actions of, of gravity. But if I go and strangle a homeless guy, uh, there is nothing in nature which says that I ought not to do that. There's nothing – in the same way that there are physical laws which prevent or permit me to do various things, there's nothing in the universe, which of course was, was quite a radical statement back in the day, right? Because it was a soul and a conscience and God's law and all that kind of stuff that we were supposed to tend towards virtue in the way that rocks tended towards the earth. So yes, sorry, uh, but, <coughs> so – so, so, I'm sorry? Oh,
3: telos, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, generally – Yeah, so so generally, uh, the way that I approach it is that uh, the moment that somebody engages in uh, true-false statements, then they're demonstrating UPB. And that does not mean that, therefore, any particular ethical theory is true. It just means that the moment somebody starts talking about uh, reason, evidence, truth, falsehood, and all that kind of stuff, then they're making universal claims, and they are staking a claim called universally preferable behavior. So there's nothing in nature which says that truth- is preferable to falsehood. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, because nature is just atoms <laughs> and energy. Uh, yeah, and they there, don't tend no, towards truth. They tend towards the obeying the physical world. laws. I'm sorry?
3: There's nothing in the fabric of the world is the language many philosophers like using. Um, Fair enough. So, like, there is nothing example, in the
0: fabric of the world.
3: Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, numbers don't exist like in the grass, you know. Um, yeah, despite yeah. that, they're
0: still in some sense true. Yes. I mean, if you've got four coconuts in a row and you take them all away, the number four doesn't burst into flames and vanish in a puff of smoke. I mean, so the concepts are derived from instances in the world and concepts exist in our head. They don't exist in the world. And uh, and yet they are rational because they describe they should be imperfectly derived from things in the world. Right. So if there are four coconuts and I say there are five, the number four, the number five, they don't exist in the world, but there's still a way in which they are true to what is there or false to what is there. If I say five coconuts when there are four, I'm wrong. So the concepts do not exist in the world, but they're not subjective. And um, in the same way that the scientific method doesn't exist in the world, but the scientific method is not subjective. So uh, I just sort of wanted to give that as a very brief framework and then to say that once we have started to argue for truth or falsehood, then we have argued for a universal standard of truth and falsehood. And anybody who's serious in the field (coughs) has reason and evidence as their standard for, for truth and falsehood. Reason, of course, is the first standard, I would argue, although a lot of people from the pragmatist viewpoint or the utilitarian viewpoint tend to look at the effects of an argument to determine its validity, uh, you know, that, that uh, the greatest good for the greatest number and that kind of nonsense, and I think that's entirely ridiculous and bad and false, although, mm-hmm. of course, it's a, quite a popular there, argument. Steph,
3: that's a straw man utilitarianism. It's applied only to normative issues, not to the truth value, um, so, they believe that it's true that actions ought to maximize utility, but not that, say, um, you ought, you know, say, say what they often make arguments that we ought to value truth in argument more than anything. So, say, if, if they were disproven, then they would say, yes, you know, this is, uh, we ought to value the truth of, I don't know, God's non existence if they were pre- previously a religious person. So, that they don't just apply it, they only apply it to normative ethical issues rather than, say, beliefs and, yeah.
0: Okay, well, um, this is my understanding. Certainly, if, you, if I'm strawmanning, I apologize, and uh, I will certainly look deeper into utilitarianism if I've missed something important, but, um, uh, which is not to say that everybody who's a utilitarian only applies utilitarian, because then you wouldn't actually – you just take polls, You wouldn't do any study of <laughs> reason or evidence, or you just take polls and that would be the truth. So, uh, but I think that aspect of the utilitarianism tends to look at effects more than um, uh, reason, uh, and first causes so anyway so but but the approach that i take is uh, once somebody has established that theories must be internally consistent and hopefully backed up by evidence and they have already at the moment they've made a truth claim or a truth statement they have crossed over from is to ought and now we're in the realm of ought now again ought doesn't exist in the world and i get that and and the, the teleos nothing tends towards the fabric of the world does not support or whatever I, I get all and that's all fair but to me it's it's analogous to the moment somebody says we should use the scientific method to test this hypothesis mm-hmm. then they're in the realm of science and you don't need to argue that science is good because somebody has already said let's use the scientific method i, you know, I don't need to go to richard dawkins and debate him and say, you know, we should really use the scientific method to determine the truths of biology, right? He'd be like, yes, that's, that's been my whole deal, right? And so Not going to a scientist that and arguing for the validity of, of the scientific method is, I'm sorry?
3: And these are still matters of fact. So, for example, it's a matter of fact that the scientific method works. Sorry, that was my phone. How unfortunate. Um, the scientific method works and... That's why we use it. And also we can give reasons in support of it being true and correct and a a correct epistemology. So we can have arguments and evaluate reasons in in support of the proposition that the scientific method is correct. Um, Now, the problem with ethics is that what evaluative process can we go through by which we show the uh, normative ideas that we have to be true without uh, doing the whole, you know, we, we we have to have some kind of evaluative process to get past the is-ought uh, dilemma. And philosophers occasionally like to argue, well, if we want to do X, then we can get around it. So you can say that if we want to, you know, win a race, we ought to run quickly. The problem is, is that, unlike a race, humans don't have a universal function, arguably without a creator um, and so then it's kind of difficult how we can structure an evaluative process which allows us to go from these is to towards because we have a second wonderful little ought in there um, so I, I don't see but how no you see say but how my
0: a, no but my argument is that once method. you have said once you have said truth falsehood universality you've already crossed over the is ought and you're in the realm of ought, which is why I say that it's like uh, arguing oughts with somebody who's arguing for truth and universality is like arguing pro-scientific method to a convention of scientists. It's, it's, it's already accepted. It's already accepted. Now, once somebody is making truth statements about anything, then those truth statements being universal should apply to every proposition. So if we have a truth statement or truth standard called internal consistency, then that should be universal to all human propositions, from mathematics to, to engineering to physics to chemistry to geology, whatever. Right? I mean, these should be universal to all human propositions. And so, if we have something like um, uh, it is universally preferable to murder, right, that, that this is fundamentally no different to evaluate than two and two make five. In other words, if we can show that inevitable logical contradictions arise from thou shalt murder, then thou shalt murder is a false proposition.
3: Okay, um, there seems to be restating of Kantian ethics, but what's interesting is that you can make rational egoism a universal principle without it resulting in contradiction. So rational egoism, for the listeners who may not know, is the position that we ought to act in our self-interest. Now, you can apply this universally, so let's, let's make this, for argument's sake, we're going to make this a universal statement. You ought to act in your self-interest. Now, what will happen is, as individuals act in their self-interest, they may end up, say, attacking each other, but they'll still be in line with the principle. So say, for example, uh, somebody tries to murder me because it's in their self-interest to do so. Well, now it's in my self-interest to not allow them to murder me. So the universal principle, we ought to act in our self-interest, is still consistent and there's no contradictions here from making it a universal concept. There's contradictions between us enacting this principle because our own preferences will you know, be different because we're different people. Uh, but the principle won't result in contradiction, just conflict between the individuals acting out it but not the principle itself.
0: But I would argue that saying that people should act in their own self-interest is an is, not an ought, because of course people act in their own self-interest. I mean, of course. I mean, that's that's not a description of an ought, that's a description of an is.
3: There's a difference between psychological egoism, so the view that humans are motivated primarily by self-interest, and rational egoism, the position that we ought to. So So some philosophers may accept psychological egoism, but then say no, we ought not, we ought to attempt not to act in our self interest. So through some kind of I don't know, Buddhist meditation process, we can try and get rid of our ego so that we no longer be- are acting in our self interest. Or we should try and to you know, be as, that? as possible.
0: So. What w- mm-hmm. what would be the empirical test for whether somebody is acting in their self interest or not?
3: Well, you as scientists tend to do experiments on the matter. Um, but psychological egoism is a separate issue to
0: rational. Uh, sorry so just people, just a sec i don't i don't contact, think so. that there 's any scientific test which can prove whether somebody is acting in genuine or false self interest
3: well, um, many scientists will disagree with you there's there's been some recent research i can 't remember off the top of my head i 'll send you a message or something detail detailing, detailing mm-hmm. you the studies um but they, um, yeah, there was a major field of experiments where they would, decant, it's so annoying I can't remember it in detail, it's just annoying, I should I should revise. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've they, they since found that in many cases people act altruistically, and then there's a whole discussion about, okay, were they motivated by... Um, say, so what's called an I desire. So I didn't. I acted altruistically because if I hadn't, I'd feel guilty, and then I feel bad. So that's I'll do it so I don't feel bad. Um, yeah, it, just, it strikes
0: me as very yeah. ex post facto reasoning, um, because everybody has a motive for something they do, and you know whether. And again, this is it's a little bit Kantian as well, right? Uh, but uh, the idea that we should give to charity out of sheer benevolent love for the, you know, and not because giving to charity makes us feel good. Uh, even though there are studies that show that altruistic behavior does release endorphins within the brain, we're not supposed to do it for that reason or whatever. But this all – again, th- this to me is not in the realm of real philosophy. And I, I know that's an annoying thing to say and what am I just an idiot on the internet. But um, that's
1: really, yeah, that's that quite, is so – no, it is. It is I
0: completely annoying and it's completely – it's a ridiculous thing for me to say. But, but the reason for that is uh, it requires uh, a, a knowledge of a person's motivations that is completely unavailable in the moment. So it, it an, there's an X factor here called self-interest, which can never be proved after the fact because you can't hook up someone to a um, <laughs> a machine after they've done something, uh, and it requires you know maybe some level of self-reporting. People don't always know their own motives. A lot of people don't have the self-knowledge to know their own motives, uh, and and so on. So uh, so anyway, th- th- this, to me, it's 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 a very interesting speculative idea, but it's not something that would re- really go in the realm of. Ethics. I think in sort of the biosciences, you know, sort of the overlap between, you know, maybe ethics and psychology and, and brain science, yeah, and it's an interesting thing to explore. As well. Yes. Um, but the, but, the uh, but is, let's go back to that something that is a little bit more verifiable. Can be a universal principle
3: without contradiction. I'm sorry? Which means it would then be moral. If we can make, if rational egoism can be a universal principle without it resulting in contradiction, then what we can do is make. Um, and you know, all actions which are in your self-interest then become moral. And that, that seems incredibly counterintuitive for an ethical theory. And so the, the but I, I think that this, is, this, is that
0: this is mysticism. This is mysticism because it requires a level of knowledge that is impossible to attain, which is no, the true knowledge of somebody else's motives.
3: That cycle and, is like, and also the true questions. knowledge
0: of what constitutes self-interest. A self-interest is something that is incredibly subjective to circumstance, right? So we would say generally that it's in your self-interest to put money aside for a rainy day because that way if an accident or a tragedy occurs, you've got some cash on hand. On the other hand, if you're going to die in six weeks, you might want to go and, bl- and blow it all, right? Uh, so and this is just one sort of particular example, but uh, uh, the, the self-interest for somebody who has no conscience <laughs> is very different from the self-interest for somebody who has a conscience. Uh, so, I mean, the, the self-interest of, of working on your own, say, emotional issues, which is short-term pain, long-term gain, uh, the self-interest of balancing that out. You know, obviously, if you're 16, it probably is worth dealing with any trauma you've experienced. If you're 90, it may not be worth entering into, uh, into therapy. Um, the self-interest of should you go running or should you smoke a cigarette? Well, that's hard to say. It's hard to objectively quantify what somebody's self-interest is in those circumstances or situations uh, uh, should you take a government job even though it's funded through violence but gives you more money uh, or should you not which is going to cost you I think about 40 percent of your salary and benefits in, in the US at least I mean these are questions which for which there are not so saying that self-interest can be an objective standard I just can't see how that could be measured how that could be universalized uh, and this is why I say it's not in the realm of philosophy
3: no you can you can say that people ought to act in what they believe to be their self interest. It doesn't matter if it actually is. So we could show say somehow hypothetically objectively that it's actually in your self interest currently tight like, now have an ice cream. You might not currently have that desire, and that's contrary to the facts which we've hypothetically just demonstrated. But nonetheless, you ought to act as you believe is in your self-interest, and that should be
0: the ethical principle by which you live. That's not a principle. Problem, that's it, saying everything that you do is right.
3: Well, no. You should act in accordance with your self-interest. This is this is right. One of, this and since everybody acts principle. in
0: accordance with their perception of their self-interest, what you're saying is everything that everyone does is right. That's not a moral theory.
3: Well, no. That, that's, no that, that's saying no, that's all man answers are true. Need, you can universalize it. Is the point and we don't
0: want to. No, you can't (laughs) universalise it. You can't universalise it because you can't measure it and it's subjective.
3: I fail to see how, no, but the the principle itself isn't. In action, people, it is, but the principle itself isn't. So like a critique of utilitarianism, say, is often that people aren't very good at working out uh, the outcomes of their actions. That doesn't invalidate the principle. It just means that perhaps in practice, people ought not to think like utilitarians. Uh, so you okay, can argue so give that. Example, principle sorry, sorry
0: to interrupt. Give, give me an example where somebody would fail to meet the standard of morality called you should act in your self interest. How would somebody be categorized as immoral in that, in that standard?
3: By not acting in their self interest.
0: Okay, but what does that? That's just that's just rephrasing it with a negative. That doesn't prove anything. So, what is an actual action that somebody could take that would be immoral under the standard?
3: Well, say for instance that it, I know it's in my self-interest to, I don't know, buy a Christmas present for my friend. I then, despite it being in my self-interest, choose not to. Then I would be acting unethically according to this universal principle. So that
0: would be immoral
3: according to this principle i don't i i mean you know, i don't ascribe to this principle it's just a challenge which advocates of ethical theories like yours have to you know it's one of those problems which is actually it's not one
0: that i have to deal with at all it's just an interesting one to deal with and i'll tell you why after but so if somebody believes that it's in his self it's in his self-interest he in other words in other words he wants to that's what it is being in accordance with your self-interest is i want to because that's what you're doing right so if it if I want to buy a present for a family member, a, a Christmas present for a family member, and then I don't, then clearly I didn't want to. In in there's which case it was in my self interest to, do, to not do so. I'm sorry.
3: Surely there's a difference between what's in your self interest and what you may want to do. So it might be in your self interest to do X. But due to a variety of constraints, you end up actually doing why, even though it's not in your objective self-interest to do so. Um, I still, cons- I still well, don't understand how that Sorry, What is an objective
0: self-interest? I don't understand what an objective self-interest is. That seems like objective subjective to me.
3: Uh, it's one of those problems No, because i don't actually ascribe to the theory. i'm just putting it out there
0: and see what you think okay about. well let's put the theory aside because i consider it nonsense again it's an annoying thing to say but let me just give you the very brief because i want to get on to other callers but let me just give you the very brief yeah, no, uh, reason that UPB can uh, uh, can can work so if we say for instance that murder is universally preferable behavior we immediately run into insurmountable contradictions uh, in the formulation yeah. of that statement uh, and, I mean, they're detailed in the book, very briefly, two men in a room cannot logically both murder each other at the same time, because if murder is a universal value, then everybody should want it. And the moment everybody wants it, it's no longer murder, right? So if I say rape is a universal, u- universally preferable behavior, then everybody wants to be raped. But if everybody wants to be raped, it's called lovemaking or sex. It's no longer yes, categorized yes. as rape. Ra- rape has to be something that somebody wants and somebody desperately does not want. And therefore, it cannot be universalized to say that rape is universally preferable behavior. Now, not raping can be universally preferable behavior, not murdering, not assaulting, not stealing. Stealing cannot be universally preferable behavior. Then it becomes endless borrowing and lending and whatever it is, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, there are no appeal to consequences. Uh, it's simply – and there's really no appeal to effects it's like well, somebody's unhappy. Or their happiness quotient goes down if they're raped, which I'm sure is true. Uh, but uh, it's simply that the the internal consistency of the statements cannot be maintained, and therefore you know there's a problem. Now, generally, when we have logical contradictions in our thinking, there are bad effects. Right. So in communism, some people get property rights and some people don't. Some people get to initiate force and some people don't. In statism as a whole, some people get to counterfeit money and other people don't. Uh, and some people get to initiate the use of force and other people don't and so on. So where we have contradictions in that which we claim to be universal, we tend to end up with bad results. I think the empiricism holds this up, right? The Communism fails. The uh, Current Western societies are failing as they increase their use of force and they increase their divide. the divide between those who use and profit from violence and those who are barred from any use of violence. So, if we create contradictions, in other words, if we say, okay, well, we're going to have a war on drugs. Well, the war on drugs is a fundamental contradiction because you're initiating force against peaceful people and you cannot have the initiation of force as universally preferable behavior for reasons that I go into in the book. So, we would expect, in general – bad results to occur from inconsistent theories uh, and, but the inconsistency of the theories is all we need to do to disprove them as valid moral ideas or valid arguments and so I just I won't put a division between any proposition of claimed universality whether it is uh, mathematics or engineering or physics, biology or ethics. Uh, they all to me fall under the same, the same category. And so that would be that, – that's why to me I just need to say, well, you, you can't have murder, can't be UPB. Rape, theft, assault, they can't be UPB. You put moral propositions through this. Taxes can't be UPB because you can't universalize it. Taxes only works if some people get to tax and other people don't. Other Some people get to take money by force and other people don't uh, and so on. So it just very briefly, that's the way that UPB works and uh, I think that all of this other stuff uh, – Strikes me as very academic. Uh, You say that uh, philosophers can't say nonsense without being ridiculed. Well, I submit John Rawls, (laughs) who talked about if we were floating above the earth in a platonic pre-birth state, and we got to choose what kind of society we wanted, but someone. I mean, that's – I mean, I don't think he got (laughs) laughed out of the profession.
3: It's not worth the paper it hasn't been written on.
0: (laughs) Well, he certainly did get quite a lot of – I was taught him in university, uh, and I was not taught yeah. uh, Dianetics in university. So he obviously has more <laughs> credibility than uh, other people. So, uh, anyway, I want to move on if that's okay. Uh, I really do appreciate yeah, no, the no, call. Was very, very, nice uh, very, very enjoyable. And uh, I really, you know, please call in anytime. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I've closed the case and therefore, right? I'm just saying that that's my <laughs> argument. If you mull it over and find in massive, gaping, horrible holes, uh, please call I'll, in and uh, I will I'll correct the
3: your points. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you very you. much.
0: You too. Bye. All right, next up today, um I guess this is the last caller today, maybe, unless it's really really short. Aaron. Hey, Aaron or uh, Aaron? Phone? Aaron, there we go. Hello.
4: I think I think I think Aaron is Irish Aaron
0: is. Ah, no, I'm just trying Irish. to get is it are, you, are you, <laughs> you first in the phone book? That's my only question. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um yeah, so I just uh I wanted to talk to you today about um, your videos, uh, the fascists that surrounds us. Um, mm-hmm. I thought those were very well done. And uh, I just have some uh, questions about specific parts of that. Um, one thing Uh-oh, like...
0: Specifics. I've, let me let me yeah. put on my specific helmet <laughs> and say, I don't know, there was a lot of talk. There was four hours of... Anyway, go on. <laughs>
4: um, so... Uh, it, when I, I've you know i listened to your videos, I, I've read a you know a few a handful of articles. Um, I've read the, the book uh, The Sociopath Next Door, um, and what's in common in in all of that is this idea that um, a sociopath can never be cured, can never grow a conscience or any sense of, of empathy, right? Um, you do make that
0: claim, right? Well, no, no, fair? no. Listen, be, be really clear. Be really clear. I do not make that claim. I repeat that okay. claim. Right. I, okay. I, I am not a researcher, so I can't say, according to my studies, okay. no, no. no. Uh, I, I merely, I mean, I got this, you know, people would get upset with me when I put the argument out there's no such thing as mental illness, and people would say, I can't believe that you're saying this. It's like, I'm actually just gathering the, don't shoot the messenger, I'm just gathering the research from a whole bunch of experts and, and passing it along. So, uh, so yes, there it there does, there does seem to be a consensus uh, among the experts who've studied it for many decades that uh, this is not a, a curable uh, mental state.
4: Okay, so then I, get, I guess what I'm wondering. Um, it is what exactly is that based on? Because I can't, I can't really find anything to that. Like, um, just if if I can just go into it personally
0: for a second, um, just my own experience. Wait, wait, wait! Sorry, sorry. If we say what is this based on in terms of evidence, and then you want to talk about personal stuff, I don't think we want to blend those two. Well, I can't speak I'm for not, the researchers, but my understanding is that um, uh, one of the ways in which it is generally. Uh, uh, figured out is through recidivism rate, right? So if if people are in prison who are sociopaths and of course they make up a significant Significantly high proportion of prisoners, uh, which is not to say that all sociopaths are criminals, but certainly a lot of criminals are sociopaths. Um, uh, they go through treatment, right? So, so prisoners go through treatment, and some prisoners who have a conscience, who were in for crimes of passion or whatever, uh, they they go through treatment, and their recidivism rates tend to be lower. Um, but it does. It seems like no matter what the treatment sociopaths go through, their recidivism rate remains constant. Uh, They don't tend to improve over time. So borderline personality disorders mellow out a little bit with time. Sociopaths do to a smaller degree. They just get older (laughs) and so on. But they don't tend to uh, settle down. They don't tend to end up with more stable relationships later on in life. They don't tend to end up in less trouble with the law later on in life other than a little bit of decay from just getting older. And uh, they don't don't seem to, according to the, the studies that have been done on their brains, they don't have the capacity to learn from experience. Which is why, when you say I'm going to shock you again, they don't get upset because they don't have the capacity to learn from negative experiences. Which is why, you know, guys who are sociopaths, they go out on a day furlough and they go kill someone or they go rob a bank or whatever. Which is ridiculous because they're just going to go, but they don't have the capacity to uh, to learn from negative. So punishment doesn't work, and they're quite satisfied with who they are because they externalize everything that happens. Right. So a sociopath who killed a guy over a bar tab when asked about it said, uh, well, I mean, the guy was an idiot. Anybody could see I was in a bad mood. <clears throat> and uh, another guy who got out uh, of uh, prison went to a, um, a diner, I think, and there was some aspiring actor. Uh, and he said, the guy said, I want to use the washroom. He said, they're for customers only. The guy said, let's take it outside and settle this like men, which is a good sign to run for the hills. And the guy went outside and he stabbed him 20 times and walked off into the night. This was actually a friend of Norman Mailer's, who Norman Mailer, the writer, championed and got out of prison and hired and introduced to the New York literati scene and, and so on. <clears throat> and his his argument was like, so I killed the guy. I mean, he was never going to make it as an actor anyway. right? So because they don't have a conscience, they don't process anything negative about what they've done. Uh, they don't um, want to... Uh, achieve a better state because they don't consider anything wrong with what they've done, and they don't have the capacity to learn from negative experiences. Therefore, it is there's no stick and no carrot, and and no change in behavior. Again, this is my amateur understanding of of the research. I'm certainly happy to be corrected, but that's why it appears that uh, this is not a a solvable problem.
4: Okay. okay well, um, I I guess I just want to try to understand the this like how we can say that. Um, with any certainty um, because I my experience with a sociopathy sociopathy has been um, different to that. so if you're gonna um, if if someone or, or if these researchers or whatever are asserting that you know we can say with certainty that they you know they can't have empathy, they can't develop a conscious like like what specifically um, can they do to to tell that? Like, what about like? So, yeah, okay, I'll give you brain, another like-
0: example. Yeah, no, that's it's a good, it's a fair question, and I'll give you another example. So, they um, they startle people, right? So they'll show them a series of of bunnies and and happy scenes and children laughing and playing, and then they'll, they'll show a picture of a guy whose face was shot off in a shotgun, and his eyeballs are hanging out all over the place. He's got no nose. You can see his back teeth through his like just a grotesque, a grotesquely wounded uh, a human face and they measure people and <clears throat> so what happens is the people who are not sociopaths recoil their blood rate goes up they're horrified their skin crawls they sweat they're you know they're upset by this and hmm. the only markers they can find in sociopaths is sort of an increased level of attentiveness like oh that's that's interesting uh, there's a sort of famous story about a a psychopath uh, interviewed by a researcher who showed who showed the psychopath a picture of a terrified face and the psychopath he said she said to the psychopath, what's that emotion? He said, I don't know, but that is the look that crosses people's face when I kill them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so they, they can't measure responsiveness that shows up. So for instance, one woman uh, showed up to be tested for psychopathy and she said, oh, I have a really bad personality. I like to hurt people. It, it gets me off. And they showed her grotesque torture images and she showed all the clear signals of sexual arousal, which would be unbelievably not the case with somebody who was not a sociopath or a psychopath. So uh, there, is, um, uh, uh, there, there is clear physiological evidence of a difference, uh, like a, a clear, unambiguous difference between a sociopath and non-sociopath.
4: Okay, well, here's where, I, here's where I'm struggling with it then. Um, so uh, th- through all of my childhood and my, my teen years, um, I was a sociopath. Um, and I and I. Sorry, when you say, say that, that
0: like, do you do you mean that you were diagnosed?
4: I don't know. I, I I was I would I would never ever have put myself in a position where I was near a therapist or 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 diagnosed or anything like that.
0: Um, but but that's an important thing because you're using oh, a technical okay, term, so yes. a okay, diagnostic I'm term. You I'm self-diagnosed I have never,
4: as I've right. never been. I've never been diagnosed as a sociopath, but. Um, when i when i start to learn uh, about sociopathy and i look back on my own childhood my own teen years it's, it 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 fill it fills in a lot of blanks of my confusion about the world around me and why i was so different from everyone else and how i could never relate like you know i like i was brutal i would um, you know i was a bully i was violent i would use threats um, I, I remember one time I was on a playground I was a kid, and there was another kid there, and uh, I had no problem with him. He 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 didn't wrong like hurt me in any way, but you know I just thought it would be fun to jump on top of him and start slamming his face into the ice over and over again. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. Like you know, and and curious. I guess yeah,
0: and. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, just I'm just trying to figure out the state of mind.
4: Yeah, I what, I what, It was well, it was almost like, I don't know if it was curiosity. I think there was, there is some sort of it was fun, like it was an, it was an activity to do. Like, oh, well, we're just going to go out and play some basketball. It's like, well, no, i well, I'll just go out and smash someone's head on the ground. Um,
0: and what happened to the boy?
4: Uh, nothing. Um, it, it's cool, What do you mean like, you missed? When, oh, sorry. The, he was—he was, he was uh, injured um, noticeably, um, but I, I found in the public school system um, I routinely got away with violent acts um, just by manipulating teachers or, or lying or um, just sort of weaseling out. Like I—I I, I was disciplined sometimes, but um, it was very rare.
0: So you could um, manipulate, in a sense, the system and not get negative repercussions, right? correct okay again um, I'm trying to I'm not trying to put words in your mouth I'm just trying to understand, uh, no, that's sure understand exactly. what you're saying
4: yeah no that's exactly it. Um, and and like you know from there just like the list goes on like um, just uh, I, you know I uh, torturing animals um, insects like things like that like just just for and
0: what know, what animal tortures it, did you uh, engage in
4: um just like it, not, nothing like um, big like insects like uh We'd always have all over our playground, we'd always have like just hordes of or hives of caterpillars just everywhere. And um, I would take a stick and like poke this caterpillar and turn the caterpillar inside out, right?
0: You mean and sort of I, peel I, it like a little banana?
4: No, no, no. no like I would actually s- like shove the stick into it and it would actually like... Turn turn itself inside out. So oh,
0: I see. Yeah, yeah. So the legs go all, were, all curled around the back and stuff, right? Okay, okay. Right,
4: and 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 that I guess it, w- it was a, a certain curiosity of like, oh, this animal, like, oh, look, this this is just weird. Um, I guess I, it was like a game to me. Um, it, and it let was me ask never you really.
0: If you don't mind, I, I think I get a. I think I get the picture. And let me ask you, if you don't mind, um, what your home life was like.
4: Um. My homeless was terrible. Um, it was pretty much I. If you're if you're in a an environment right where uh, you're pretty much a prisoner, and every single day is a battle or a war of wills, right? So that you could have any preference at all, like y- even the tiniest preference is always um, like a constant battle.
0: Um mm. do you mean sort of like control freak parents kind of thing
4: um just anything like i I spent the the vast majority of my childhood just grounded just doing nothing um because if I was ever to deviate from the cert, like a certain set of um rules of like how I'm supposed to speak, what I'm supposed to say,
0: what I'm supposed to do
4: if that can if, you give if, me an example um Okay. Oh, I like like one time I mentioned that my uh, mother had gained weight, right? And uh, oh, you gained weight, and she's like, like that's just me expressing something, and she's like, oh, well, that's so uh, incredibly lewd. How dare you talk to me like that? Don't ever talk back to me like that again. And then proceeds to take all my possessions away for a period of time, uh, and lock them all away. So I couldn't. I was just pretty much in a house. I couldn't do anything.
0: Did she also um, ever tell you that truth was important?
4: Uh, of course, yeah.
0: That's fucked so, up, right? Right. Oh, no, it's just you know, It's form, really, really important is... to tell the truth, unless the truth that you're telling is uncomfortable to me, in which case you're being rude, right? Right.
4: And, and I feel that if you're put in, in an environment like that, um, if you have emotions, it's not
0: really uh, beneficial to you. Um, when you're dealing with an well, individual who is just—I would go further than that, right? Yeah, it's not okay. that they're not beneficial to you. Wouldn't it be fair to say that they're kind of used against you? Well, yeah,
4: and it, exactly, totally against you. But if you don't have any emotions, then um, you can't be manipulated. Um, it doesn't—it doesn't hurt when. You know if you're trying to b- battle with this horrible person and they can do all these horrible things to you but then you're bound by a conscience um, you know that right. puts you at a huge disadvantage of trying to survive but if you I'm can sorry just, to
0: interrupt but what I'm what I'm thinking of is it may be an extreme example it may not be right but I'm thinking like if I was on a torture table and some guy was just right. truly screwing with my body you know pulling fingernails and hammering nails through my scrotum or something like that I would be very desperate to 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 not have a nervous system right because it was being used against me right the, the, the pain that we feel is supposed to help us right don't do that again and you know don't swing the hammer so you hit your thumb and don't stub your toe and all that kind of stuff it's supposed to help us but it can be used against us by a, a real sadist right so in that instance i'd be like if somebody gave me morphine right now and, and cut off my capacity to experience pain i would be overjoyed right
4: exactly and that like i don't I don't blame myself for that. Like it was just um, a strategy that um, was just kind of like I had no like I was never conscious of any of this. Right? It was just something that was happening to me. It was like an adaptive thing, um, and I don't blame myself. It's a necessary
0: for, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Exactly. What about um, your dad? I, I, he
0: was not around at all.
4: Uh, they oh, like you did,
0: you didn't have any contact with him.
4: Uh. They divorced when I was uh, one years one years old. I saw him maybe uh, one Christmas and like each Christmas until I was probably about uh, four or five, no, and so uh, then I never saw him again after that. Do you know why? Yeah. Um, partially, it, it's a combination of things. Um, one, uh, very just kind of, you know. What I expect from my mother is uh she she cut him off from me uh, for one thing like she would say you know uh, always talk bad about him and you know pretty much get like a four or five year old kid to not want to go see his dad because she's saying all these horrible things and like why would I ever uh want to go see this person if he's he's so horrible you know I'm just I just believing whatever she's telling me um, sure. so so in that sense i I was a little bit cut off, and then I think it was also um on the my father as well because um, he didn't he didn't really pursue that he just kind of faded away it wasn't he didn't like say oh no screw that that's my kid right he just kind of
0: went with it right well you don't know if he was threatened by your, anyway it doesn't matter um, right. and how were you uh, you said uh, you were grounded uh, were there any other ways in which you were disciplined as a child
4: um. I was uh, spanked a few times, it was not a regular thing, it was an extremely rare thing that happened uh, maybe once every two years or something until I was maybe like nine or ten or something.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, And um, just a lot of um, verbal and uh, just psychological things, like I would just have to sit there for like hours just listening to her just rant and rave about something that was Uh completely illogical, just had nothing to do with anything, and I could sit there and I can reason through it and I can say, no, this is ridiculous. This is why, this is why, this is why. But if you try and interrupt... I'm the parent. If
0: you try and interrupt that verbal diarrhea, you get punished, right?
4: Yeah, oh, I'm the parent. Don't talk back to me. I'm right because I'm the parent. Now you can go sit in your room and do nothing for the rest of the day. So... Um, a lot of. A I lot mean, of listen, listen. Stuff. I mean,
0: the reason I'm I'm saying that is I spent approximately seventy percent of my childhood trapped in a room with my mother pouring her verbal diarrhea at me. So, I'm trying not to make sure that we had the same experience, but I don't think it was too dissimilar. And I'm really sorry for that. That's a that's a it's a horrible. It's a, it, it, right. it, to me, it felt like being being trapped by a predator. You can't really move. You can't express any preference. You can't get away. You can't get out. While all of this crazy shit gets poured into your mouth. Like Hamlet with you're, his uncle, just pouring poison.
4: So you're a prisoner, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a prisoner of words, and it's a it's a prisoner. It's like an invisible electric fence. It's like a fucking dog collar. Yeah. You, you can't get away from the crazy. And it's no, it's coming can't. at you like it's, like... it's like trying to stand in front of a jet engine that's at full blast. Or behind it, in fact. And uh, it's... You know, I, I felt like... um like an astronaut in a centrifuge you know their their cheeks go right because they're just going around so fast it felt like standing in front of a crazy hurricane like that again i'm trying not to mix up our experiences i don't know if you had the same experience but that certainly was my experience of it
4: no that's that's exactly it's just it's complete another um just power like you have no power you're completely powerless um at least for me anyway and um I, I would almost find myself just wishing that she would just like die in like a car accident, and like it like she'd she'd be late coming home, and I'd get excited. I'd be so excited. I'd be like, oh well, maybe she's maybe she's staying over somewhere and she's not coming home, or maybe she got in a car accident and she's in the hospital, and then I'll have the house to myself for a week, or maybe she died. And like that was like the one like little glimmer of like hope. If is if it wasn't that I wanted her to die, but just that I wanted to be free of her.
0: Right. Right. Would you say that your mother was cold?
4: Uh, yes, but she, Yeah, she was I mean, cold, I don't
0: mean that she, she wasn't volatile, but I mean, like, emotionally, was she accessible to you? I mean, it doesn't sound like that, but again, tell me if... if.
4: She was fake emotionally accessible to me. So she'd pretend to care. She'd pretend that she was a good mother and that she loved me and that she was doing everything right. Um, But if it ever came to actually putting that into practice and actually getting any sort of benefit from her, uh, she was completely closed off.
0: Was she able to switch emotions on and off uh, rapidly?
4: Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. Um, It it, it was, like, I remember I was on summer vacation and uh, off school just staying at home, and uh, I didn't do the dishes or something. I left them, and she she came home, which is, you know, oh, hey, how's it going? She sees the dishes and then just starts, from a completely normal state, starts screaming and raging about how um, I didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher. So I'd say, yeah, she could probably switch pretty
0: easily. could she go the other way? Like if, if she was screaming and, and ranting and then the doorbell rang, could she compose herself quite quickly?
4: Oh, our our whole – the whole family construct um, in our household was um, when you go out into public, there is this face that you put on called right. you're normal and you're happy. So, of course, you could flip that on a dime.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Can I tell you something that struck me about you attacking the child on the ice? Okay. And look, I really appreciate you talking about this stuff. I mean, it may not feel that difficult, but I, I know that it is. But No, it's really difficult. And I, I'll get to my sympathy in a sec, but I, I was struck by the first attack that you talked about was pounding a child's face into the ice. Right. And that strikes me as a very powerful metaphor for your relationship with your mother. Trying to okay. burrow through the ice, trying to get your face through the ice of her coldness, of her indifference.
4: Yeah, I see
0: that. Tell me what you think. Um, it's
4: just... I, I don't, it just makes a lot of sense to me. That's just... It, it, you it's felt just something there, hope, though, right? It's a very hopeless feeling. It's a very hopeless feeling.
0: Well, tell me more. Uh, of course, it is hopeless. You can't go through the ice, right? Exactly. You will only injure yourself in going through the ice. I think that childhood violence is like a waking nightmare. It is, it is how we attempt to communicate our experience of the world... In action, we don't have the words. Certainly, if we have this kind of parents, we don't have the language, we don't have the emotional language, and we will act out what we're experiencing. And it just, it, I'm not putting you in this category, of course, right? But the, the guy who just shot up the Connecticut school apparently had a hyper control freak mom. And right. um, again, I'm not putting you in the same category, of course, I understand that, but it just struck me that slamming a child's face into ice was probably not unrelated to your experience of trying to connect with your mother. Which you wanted to do, right?
4: Oh yeah, of course. And and I and I totally like I I see that and I get what you're saying and like I've I've totally like thought about stuff like this before of, you know, if you're dealing with someone like that, of course, you know, you're going to this is how you're going to react to that, right? Um Now, is that sociopathy or not though? you know I'm no I'm no expert but I, I'm just going through my experience as a child and it's you know no, there was no empathy there was I never felt like I had no idea of what love was like there's these songs on the, the radio and uh, and I don't know that I like love songs it's like I have no idea what they're even talking about on the love song it's just emotions were so foreign to me it just it and and. Maybe that's not sociopathy, I don't know, but it it feels like it is to me, and I don't know if that's maybe one of the ways that sociopathy comes about.
0: Well, I don't know, and I, I I would really try to advise against the language because that's a label, that's a conclusion. Okay. Tell me about the helpless feeling. Your voice broke a little bit, and you'll hear this when you hear this back, but your voice broke a little bit when I talked about trying to connect with your mother, and you said that there was this this helpless feeling. What was that feeling? Um,
4: just it just pure misery and despair and, like, um, you know, like, I, just anxiety, like, always just this constant feeling of anxiety um, in your chest and, like, a knot in your stomach and, you know, and it's just forever. Like, it's just... There, there's no, oh, okay, I'm good this day, and then, you know, oh, I'm feeling a little bad that day, or I have a little bit of anxiety when something, you know, unfortunate happens. It's a, like this tight chest and this knot in the, stu- in the stomach, like, just for your whole life
0: or your whole childhood. Right. right. I get a sense of, um, and again, I'm trying, again, really trying to separate our, our two experiences similar to that they may have been. And let me—I would just talk about myself because I don't want to obviously tell you what you feel. That's that's ridiculous. But when I was a child, recognizing that I had no bond with my mother, that that I could not count on empathy from my mother, and this is not to say that she was always cruel. I mean, when I was sick, when I was helpless, she could actually be quite nurturing. When I was not any kind of, in any kind of state right, to exactly. to disagree with her. Or, Anything like that. That, but always,
4: that always fascinated me, is how can you just flip to now when you're sick, oh, you can take care of me and it's all great. It's
0: ridiculous to me. Right. Sorry, go on. Yeah, but I mean, so that that seems to be quite... And it can be confusing, right? Because there seems to be nurturing uh, in particular circumstances, but that's only because you, can't, you don't represent any kind of threat. Right? I mean, so... Really cruel people can be incredibly fond of animals. Like Hitler was a big fan of animals uh, because they don't represent any kind of threat to him. They don't disagree with him. They bond. They right. So they're not. They don't. It's very primitive, but but it's um it's possible. But but it wasn't real empathy because uh, 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 empathy is really needed where we disagree, right? I mean, uh, that's where we, you know, liking people who agree with everything you say. Well, I guess that's not really that nice, but. But what I felt as a child was a, a feeling. I read in Catcher in the Rye, there's a description that that possible pedophile gives to Holden Caulfield, which is something like he says two things. He says, I see you in the future like a guy in an office shooting paper clips and not knowing why. But there was also a description of him that you're going to be falling and falling forever and not even knowing it. And that, that, Fucking chilled my bone marrow when I read it. Because when you're not attached to people who have authority over you, you are never, ever safe. Right. Right. Empathy and bonding is security, it is safety. And as a child, if you're never safe, the world is in danger.
4: Exactly. Violence.
0: Yeah, violence from children is the revenge of a slave, right? I mean if we read about slave rebellions and the slaves rise up and cut off the head of their masters or whatever, we don't sit there and say, Well, that's weird. We sort of sit there and say, Well wonder why there's not more of that, right? But it's a it's a bottomless feeling of insecurity. And for me at least, and this may be the case for you as well, I mean, there was a feeling of incredible distance from society as a whole. Like I had to pretend, obviously, I couldn't be honest about what I was experiencing because everybody knew what I was experiencing. Everybody knew what was going on in my family. My friends all knew. uh, The neighbors all knew. We'd always lived in apartment buildings, very thin walls, lots of screaming, throwing, beating, screaming, crying, shrieking, throwing, punching, right? I mean, it was, everybody knew. And so I was... The the conspiracy of silence and avoidance and cowardice was far beyond the walls. The evil within my home spread like like treacle, almost like quicksilver, like a fog, like a, a toxic invisible gas through everybody who knew. And ex- my I mother's mind Yeah, my mother's mind was the world because everybody deferred to my mother. Everybody avoided the topic. Sorry, go ahead.
4: I, I just, I just wanted to say, like, I had that, um, that same sort of feeling, uh, with my my extended family. So it's like, um, you know, all the aunts and uncles and all the the grandparents and everything. Like, they can see what's happening. You know, they know what's going on. It's under like a thin veil of delusion, I guess. But you know, generally, they know. What's happening? But they're not really—they're not doing anything about
0: it. I don't know if that's what you. What you oh, mean. they're doing something about it. <laughs> do not confuse avoidance with inaction. They're doing something about it. You know what they're doing about it? Nothing. No. What are they doing? I didn't do anything about it because I didn't even know about it. I would have if I could have and if I'd known. But no. I guess they're
4: enabling. Your extended
0: family. Yeah, of course, they're—they're they're completely supporting and enabling it they are completely supporting and enabling it. If you know of an evil and you do not act, you are a fucking accomplice.
4: Yeah, that makes me feel really cold. Go on. It's just... yeah, I think it's the same thing. A lot of lon- loneliness um, from society. Um, if all these people, you know, they know what's happening to you. Um... They're just, and, and they're fine to just let it let it happen. Not to a child, uh, you just kind of feel p- pretty lonely and cold.
0: Yeah, and let me ask you a question. So let's say you're at a Thanksgiving or family Christmas dinner, the whole extended family is around there, and you say something like this. Sometimes I wish that my mother died in a car crash, not because. I want her dead, but I just I need relief from the agony of being her son. And I, 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 we really need to talk about this because I feel like I'm losing my soul. I feel like I'm dying deep down on the inside. I feel like I'm being strangled by these indifferent, selfish tentacles. I feel like the umbilical was a noose and I was hung. And I feel like I'm dying, and I'm feeling like I'm going to do harm, and I'm feeling cold, and I'm terrified of what this might mean to me for the rest of my life. And we need to talk about this because we have a huge problem in this family. There is great evil being done in the midst of this family, and like good German soldiers, y'all are just following orders that come from the worst among us at my expense and I am the innocent one here. I am the child here. So we need to talk about this. What would the general emotional reaction be if you said something like that?
4: Uh, shock and just um, scared, but not scared for me, but scared, just, just fearful that they're going to have to deal with this. Or that I've yeah, actually
0: who would, said to Who would
4: they like be I've upset made at? It. Um, they'd probably be upset at me for pointing it out.
0: Right. I, I I believe that is entirely the case. They would not be upset at your mother. I mean, maybe in some weird abstract way. But they would be most bothered by the fact that you had spoken the truth about your experience, that you had brought any shred of reality to this ghost clan, right? and isn't that completely fucked up that when the that innocent so- yeah when the innocent victim speaks the truth of crimes the only people that anyone has trouble with is the honesty of the victim that's really fucked up <sighs> And I'm—I guarantee you—you you knew all of this as a child.
4: Yeah, I yeah, I, I I don't know if it was conscious, but definitely a like almost instinctual.
0: Yeah, like I knew course. not
4: to bring up certain things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and if you had brought it to a teacher, and if you had brought it to some other authority figure, well. I mean, who would have won there, right? Right, not me. Yeah, bullies run the world, <laughs> still.
4: <laughs> but I just I'm feeling I'm feeling all sad now. Um, but I I I just wanted to, I guess I don't know. I guess I'm changing the subject. Um, I, I just wanted to men- mention the positives of you know. You know, I have felt a lot of this pain before, and um, you know, it, it's a tragedy. But um, just a lot of good that that's come out of it because because what well, I know avoidable social But what well, I've had these. I, I think I've had these traits through childhood. Um, in my mm-hmm. teen years, no, I've,
0: no, 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 no. I'm sorry, I got to stop you right there. No, you didn't have these traits. don't think so why i don't i don't
4: like i I get
0: what what color are your eyes blue blue all right so you had blue eyes as a child right you you have them now and nobody inflicted blue eyes on you you weren't punished and tortured into having blue eyes were you that's just what is Do you see the difference? I have a birthmark. I have a birthmark. I have a little brown spot on my ankle. I have a birthmark. I was born with that. That was not inflicted upon me. But if I'd been stabbed as a child, I would have to understand the difference between my stab wound and my birthmark. Do you understand? One is a scar inflicted by others that is not innate to me. The other is genetics and is innate to me. It was nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault that I had blue eyes or a birthmark on my ankle. But if I were stabbed as a child, it would be somebody's fault that I had a scar. And the scar would actually be owned by the person who stabbed me. It would not be my scar. It would be the scar created by somebody who attacked me. It would not be me. It would not be innate. And I would really need to differentiate between the automatic and the unchosen, and the inflicted. You did not have these traits. These traits were inflicted upon you through unbelievable abuse and neglect. These traits were inflicted upon you like a stab wound, like a broken bone, like a mashed finger in a vice, like a ball cut off with scissors. These traits were inflicted upon you by the monstrous selfishness of your mother, by the cruelty, by the randomness, by the abuse, by the abandonment of your father, by the indifference of your extended family, by the cowardice of your entire fucking society. This shit was inflicted on you. Do not mistake it for you. It is scar tissue. It is not your natural self.
4: You know, I... I really appreciate you saying that, um, and I, I agree with that for sure, I do agree with that. Um, my only way, my, the only reason I, I mentioned that before is just, I guess I'm trying to understand, I don't know why, I, I'm trying to understand sociopathy, right? And um, to me, I, I, don't, I don't attribute this to like my fault, but it's, um, is there not a, a, a nurture? Component to sociopathy to say that um, if these people are nurtured in this horrible way, uh, now you through see. No I just asked you own.
0: not to. Uh, I just asked you not to assign labels, and you write back to doing it. And and I'm, look, I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm just pointing it out, right? I'm really not.
4: Okay. So and and
0: the, what right. If we so say because a, the, you put this sociopathy a, label on, right? Okay. First of all, I mean, you, me, not competent. Right, takes a trained professional. Right. Secondly, I have read, I was initially skeptical of this, but I have read uh, that somebody, uh, I think it's the woman who wrote The Sociopath Next Door, and she said, if you're really worried about being a sociopath, you're probably not. If it is, if it is of concern but I, about I think being it's a sociopath.
4: Almost, you. I, I truly believe, and maybe I'm completely wrong here, but I, I truly believe that the only reason um, that I'm not that way, the, the only reason that I that I have uh, a sense of empathy and conscious and, and a sense of a conscience right now, um, is because of philosophy. Um, I truly yes. believe. Yes. I truly believe that if I was just to left and, and I went unchecked and I didn't do do any work or anything. You know, I would be, I would have a, a lot of horrible negative traits that I, I don't necessarily have now.
0: Yeah, I mean, so the, the part five around UPB and so on probably had some resonance for you in that area, right? Yeah, like, when, um, if... Yeah, go ahead.
4: I was just going to say, like, when, when you apply um, UPB to your life, um, there's some great things that happen when you're, when you're honest and open with people. Um, there's really great things that happen and that's not, it was never me saying, you know, oh, I want to go out and learn emotions and, and have empathy and sympathy. I, I never wanted that. I never like thought to go out and get that really. But, um, if you can under, if you understand the intellectual side of UPV and how, you know, it's a preferable way to behave and then you start behaving that way, um, you get these people that, that, uh, are better than most, and you can actually, uh, with being honest and open with them, start to create uh, some sort of a friendship and have feelings and have a sense of empathy. And like I, I have a lot of empathy right now, and I totally have a conscience. Like I'm completely uh, certain of that.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Now, so just just to back up what you're saying, so one of the sort of real characteristics of um, these kinds of disorders is. Self-contradictory speech with no knowledge of the contradiction, as I sort of mentioned in the series, right? So a guy who says, who was asked, uh, did you do anything violent? He said, no, no, I never, I've never done anything violent. Oh, I mean, I killed one guy, but I've never done anything violent, right? So there, there's complete contradiction, but no consciousness of the contradiction. And UPB messes with that static, right? Because UPB says, you got to be consistent. Exactly. And so consistency is a way of knitting together the shattered fragments of the alter egos that are sprayed out from the hammer blows of repeated early child abuse. It's a way of knitting back together the statue that was broken, reforging the sword that was broken. Elendil? I can't remember what its name was. Oh dear, geeky reference. Anyway, but philosophy is a way of, of universalizing, which really should happen at the emotional level. Empathy should happen through an emotional experience, but. As I argue in the in the show, this is uh, the 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 fascists that surrounds you, part five. You can do a software rendering, if not a hardware rendering, of empathy through philosophy, because philosophy universalizes, and through universalization, we learn to be consistent. And to learn to be consistent is also to recognize that other people have feelings and at least most other people have feelings like we do and so on. So I think that's, that's a valuable point. But let me, let me ask you one other thing. And I, look, I really appreciate this. This is very tough stuff to talk about. And I, uh, you know, I hugely appreciate you bringing this stuff up. And I, I'm trying not to uh, be too emotional here. I feel very, very strongly, very strongly, uh, shock, horror, my goosebumps, skin crawling about your experience. And I, the reason I'm not going into that is that I want to make sure that that you have the capacity to feel that, rather than provoke the feelings in me. But they're there. I'm telling you. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely beyond appalling. What happened to you? Do you have any siblings?
4: Uh, no, I I was an only child. Um, I had a I had I had a half um, brother when I was uh, about six. My mother remarried, and when I was about sixteen. 15 or 16 they had um, my half-brother and then I was uh, thrown out of the house uh, shortly after he was born so I, I, I ne- I'd I, never had a
0: relationship with him or anything like that and why were you thrown out of the house?
4: Um, well it was the um, the devil he had an influence on my life apparently and, oh uh, your mother? was your mother Christian too? oh hardcore baptist and Uh, uh, yeah he was working all of his evil deeds in my life so um, you know she just dropped off a couple duffel bags at school and said uh, don't come home
0: holy fucking shit yeah holy holy fucking shit jesus christ on a stick that's unholy that's unholy (sighs) it was pretty rough what did your um, stepfather uh, think of you?
4: Uh my father? I don't I don't really no, know No, your stepfather Oh, my stepfather Um, He was uh, we were friendly bef- we were friendly before uh, he married my mom uh, like we would play video games or hang out like he was, he was pretty decent um once they got married, there was a lot of friction um, when he started to fill try and fill the role of a father, which I didn't necessarily want um, it was more of just you know you were my friend before I just you know you're my mom's husband but you're my friend now like don't I don't need you to step into that well i don't at the time I didn't want him to step in that frontal wall i just uh what I thought is I wanted to just you know hang out we're buddies but he as he kind of took on the role of, like, just as the same as my mother, so punishing and doing stuff like that, and it's like, whoa, 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 buddy, like, what are you doing? So not great, but it wasn't as horrible as with my mother.
0: Well, except that he married your mother, and he also didn't say to her, are you fucking crazy? You don't throw your 16-year-old out on the street with no warning, duffel bags, and, like, no, I'm going to go pick yeah, him up. You're no. You crazy bitch. Yeah, exactly. So your view of men must be not stellar. That women rule and men conform, and right?
4: Yeah, I try to push away from that though, as much as I can. Like I don't want to be skewed in that way. You know what I mean? But there.
0: What did you do with these duffel bags and this this unbelievable situation?
4: Um. Well, for a bit. Um. I just like random, uh, like friends' houses. I'd stay on their couch or whatever for you know a week here a week there until pretty much their parents got sick of me um and uh then uh i went to um, my aunt my aunt lived in the in the same city as me I, I stayed after you know maybe 3 months of just friends i stayed at her house for maybe about four or five months uh, which I paid rent the whole time and uh, then I was thrown out of there too uh, because I was using drugs and uh, then I uh, started living
2: with uh, another friend and and paying rent there
0: How did you get the money to pay rent?
2: Um,
4: Well throughout my like I've been working ever since I was um, 13 I, even when I was like you know 11 or 12 I would go on a, a golf course and uh, pick up balls for like a dollar an hour and stuff like that and uh, so I had a lot of savings um, from all my work so I didn't really spend a lot of money. So I just use
0: that. You get that that's a big strike against the sociopathy diagnosis, right? That you're willing to work and save and plan. Um, You're not impulsive. You're not predatory. You're not criminal. Uh, So I just want to point out that that's actually a mark very much against the diagnosis. But I just wanted to mention that.
4: That's true, I guess. Uh, I guess how I just didn't have anything to spend it on, really, is how I thought it. Like there's never anything that I desired or or wanted to, to spend the money on. So. I just kind of I never liked work per se but I, I did it and I it, it was all
0: yeah, well, teenage sure. jobs suck I mean <laughs> yeah I got yeah, exactly yeah, I was 11 it was actually good. it was nine when I got my first job and then 11 when I got my first job outside the home so yeah I mean if you've got a shitty home life you start gathering resources and I mean I wasn't kicked out when I was 16 but my brother and I kicked my mom out when I was 15 and um, that was a bit different it was more of our choice but plus I I mean I had a sibling so Tough that that was at times. It definitely had its advantages. So, I mean, is there a single fucking deck that wasn't stacked against you as a human being?
4: I'm not so sure about that. Um, No,
0: seriously. I I mean, without being born with like a hair lip and exploding eyeball syndrome, I mean, what the hell could have happened to you? you Abandoned by your dad, raised by a crazy-ass abusive single mom, kicked out when you're 16, and where the the fuck are your friends' families doing? Why are you on their couch? Why aren't they asking these questions? Why aren't they getting you the resources that you need? Why aren't they getting you emancipated? Why aren't they getting you student welfare? Why the fuck don't people help people like you out?
4: Yeah, I, sorry, yeah, not yeah, mad I at you. I feel that just too. no, I feel that too. It's it's enraging, right? And oh, I, and, and it was, I don't know the 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 way it went about it. It was very frustrating, like. Eventually, after I was gone for so long, um, you know, say maybe eight, eight or nine months, my my mom did start calling these these parents and saying, "Oh, Aaron's not home. Um, I want him to come home." Actually, like, like we want him to come home. And uh, by that point, it was like, "I'm not going back there." Are you kidding me? Like, you know, I'll crouch for so, me to eternity no, rather than I, go back I, to
0: that prison cell, right?
4: I slept in a Tim Hortons uh, coffee shop in the little ATM area of a bank. I slept in there and I slept on a park bench rather than go back to that house because I would never do that.
0: So you really were homeless for a while?
4: For a brief, very brief period of time, yeah.
0: But, I mean, that's pretty terrifying nonetheless. I mean, you don't know. If you say Tim Hortons, I assume it ain't too toasty in the winter. and um, (laughs) no. Yeah, oh, you don't that's know how long this going to go on for. You know, when they say, oh, what about the people who slip through the cracks? Bullshit. People don't slip through the cracks. People stand by and push them down with their heels. I mean, how many chances for intervention did you have in your life? Probably hundreds of chances for people to intervene, possibly thousands. And how many yeah, people I... did it? Our noble fucking human species oh, you see, we have to have the welfare state because we care so much about the poor. We have to have old age pensions because we care so much about the needy. And you go through the hallmark, oh, we're all about the children. We care about the children. We need public schools to educate the children. Everybody says this, twisting themselves into reptilian asterisks, patting themselves on the back for their moral courage. We stand up to evil and they go watch these films where everyone stands up to evil and does the right thing despite the cost. And then a child slips into the sewers hanging onto their legs and all they do is fucking shake their leg and kick him down
2: it's horrifying it's absolutely horrifying
0: Uh, this is about as angry as i felt in quite some time i'm just telling you this is repulsive reptilian wretched evil behavior and your mom is only part of it of course i am so sorry I would like to apologize on behalf of the entire fucking human race for all the shit that everybody put you through. Unbelievable, unholy. The entire gene pool owes you a forehead scraping to the ground, massive pile of gold. Here's my kidney in case you ever get into trouble and some bone marrow in case you ever get leukemia. Apologize to you. You are unbelievably sinned against you grew up in a completely indifferent, brutal, disgusting, vile community of people who would rather snap it that you're taking up room on their couch than reach out an extending hand. Were these people all Christians by chance? Pardon me? Were these people all religious by chance? Uh, to,
4: I, I don't know. To, to varying degrees, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, Most of my I hated religion, so most of my friends weren't religious. But their their parents would be the the Christians that um, you know. Oh, you know, we go to church a few times a year, and we believe in God.
0: Whatever you do to the least among me, so do you also do to me. Whatever you do to the children, so do you also do to me. Just another example of how religion has explicitly failed to stop the problem of child abuse. In fact, contributes to it significantly in many ways. The idea, not the individuals. But I would just like to take the entire human race smack it upside the head and get it to apologize to you because you really fucking deserve that because oh my god oh my god did people do entirely the wrong thing around you at every level in every context in every circumstance and i hope i hope that you don't take an atom of that shitty behavior on you. It is their shame it is to their shame that they failed to help a breaking child in need they didn't have to I confront agree. your mom, they didn't have to do any of that shit, they didn't have to get involved in all that trolley stuff that happens when you help victims of child abuse they could have just made a fucking phone call to yeah, child welfare services One fucking phone call. How many TV shows did they watch? How many computer games did they watch? How many beers did they open? Which precluded them or was much more important to them than picking up the goddamn phone and getting you some help. One phone call. One phone call. Too much effort? Too difficult? Is it hard to dial? Did they have to dial with huge spikes attached to their forehead? No. They're not unicorns.
4: Yeah, there's really no excuse for
0: it. There's zero fucking excuse for it. And in fact, since they subscribe to an ideology which is all about the supposed protection of children, they are evil by their own standards.
4: Yeah, I agree. And I think they know that on some level. Like, how can they not know that if, if they have these principles? Um, that they say they believe in, but then, you know, they, they act uh, differently than those principles. They must
0: know that they're doing something wrong. And treating you like a stray, flea-bitten dog? Oh, I'm tired of you sleeping on my couch. Go off into the fucking night, young sir. How fucking stone-hearted do these people have to be? What the fuck is wrong with people? These are broken children in desperate need and the teachers do fuck all and the friends parents do fuck all and the parents and the dad and the stepdad the extended family
2: you're drowning
0: you're drowning yeah I have that dream a lot and they toss you a fucking rock sorry go ahead
4: I just I always have I always used to uh, when I was a kid I always had that dream over and over again of um, drowning or just not being able to move. Like, I'm moving as fast as I can, but it's only moving really, really slow, and I can't get anywhere.
0: Right. It's, and did you? Was there, was there anyone else in the dream? Anyone on the shore? Anyone around?
4: Uh, it, no, it's always just by myself. Or, or right. actually, and sometimes people just passing by, not doing anything.
0: Right, and you get that this was a very accurate... You were drowning, right? Exactly. And people were walking by, and and the this, the, the most awful thing is that they're actually lifeguards who were walking by, and in fact, saving a child from drowning is a lot harder than making a phone call. Yeah. But I I want to apologize for for everyone. I want to apologize for everyone. You'll never get an apology from these stone-hearted golems, but. I, I really, you deserve a huge fucking apology from the entire gene pool of the species and from everyone who ever came in contact with you who appear to have the conscience of a fucking ashtray. I don't think the label really should be applied to you. Socially. Yeah, label. I, I guess so. I, I guess so. I mean, you took Maybe care of yourself. So. They didn't.
4: Yeah. That's true.
0: You learn very so early I'm, not to rely on people. I'm sorry.
4: I just said, well, you have to learn very early to rely on people, or not rely on people, and rely on yourself. If I'm not going to take care of me, then no one else will. So,
0: right. That's now, I mean, I hope, I hope that you understand that this is not the entire world. <laughs> to be honest, it's a depressingly fucking large percentage of the world, but it's not the whole world. I am mean,
4: actually surprisingly op- optimistic about the world. I, I think that it it, can, it has the potential to be a really, really amazing place.
0: So I, I agree. Don't
4: as, I don't take that as that's how everyone is for
0: sure. I've met. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the night sky, you can either look at the dark or the stars. And I think virtue is about as common in the world as sky, stars are in a polluted sky, but they're there. And that's what we guide ourselves by. And we find the good people in this world, the people who've got a conscience, the people who feel, the people who have empathy. And we hold them to us with all the security that comes from genuine emotional visibility to other people. And I am unbelievably sorry. I I, I mean, what I see is, this is going to sound ridiculous and I apologize, but man, if you'd been my son, just imagine, just imagine how different. Your life would be. Imagine that you would not have had anxiety, that you would not have had fear, that you would have negotiated, that you would have been loved, that you would have been treasured, that you would have been played with, that you would have been cared for, that you would have felt secure yeah it's all of the things that you needed to learn. All of the things that you needed to learn would have been effortlessly passed down. And this struggle to become human, to retain humanity, would be something that would be incomprehensible to you. You would never have been threatened, never have been yelled at, never have been hit, never have been frightened, never have been bullied, never have been punished. But everything is sweet reason, peace, love and negotiation. That's what you deserve, that's what every child deserves. And if you can get a sense of exactly how much was stripped from you, exactly how much was robbed from you, exactly how cold, monstrous and indifferent Your entire community was to your fate, and how that shit is all going to pass away. That is all going to pass away. The society that is, is mere Roman ruins to tomorrow. This is all passing away. The world is waking up to the humanity of children. Children are more people than people. We are getting there. We are working on that there's tons of people working in this particular movement I'm just one of many 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 people and I'm certainly not the most important but I'm working it with everything I've got this is changing this is changing I really genuinely believe that you should take a medal approximately the size of Alpha Centauri and pin it to your chest as being part of breaking the cycle of turning these child sacrifice amphitheaters into mere ruins for tourists to pose with photos. I went to Aztec ruins where they used to play some weird ball game and slaughter their children, and people walk around holding their children's hands, tossing them up and down, and laughing in a place where children used to have their living hearts pulled out of their chest. And it's a mere ancient story now. And this is where we're going as a society, that the horrors that you experience, for which I am so sorry, I am so sorry, my God, what an unbelievable lonely, chilled existence you had. A bare scrabble for the merest atoms of sustenance to get you over the next hump of the next day of days that seemed to go on forever with no break, no hope, no change. I am so sorry. You didn't even have a companion. You didn't have a sibling. Uh, Your friends wouldn't talk about it. Your friends' parents wouldn't talk about it. Your fucking family wouldn't talk about it. Your dad vanished. Your stepdad wouldn't talk about it. Nobody helped you. The fact that you've come out with any sense of self-empathy, the fact that you've come out with any sense of optimism is really really noble and this is a fire under the rocket of the future this dissolves the prisons of the present into the ancient ruins of the past and it can happen like that it can be like throwing acid on a building it melts into history like that it only takes the willpower of one generation to change all of this and you're doing it I believe that is incredibly admirable but I am so sorry for everything that you went through that is just unholy I really I'm so sorry.
4: I I really appreciate you you saying that, it does mean a lot and uh, you know I do it I completely agree that you know you can be optimistic you know things can change and you know I I don't want to make that all that suffering for nothing I, I you know it's just good to know that you can can do something to make the world a better place and, and to change things, and, and that gives, that gives me a lot of hope and uh, that's why I like Free uh, Freedom Main Radio so much and all the other philosophy that I
0: uh, read about. Is there anything else you wanted to mention uh, 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 just before we end we the show? I don't want to make sure that I, I never want to get the last word for a listener calls. Uh,
4: no, I think I think that is uh. I think that's pretty good, um, I I enjoy, I, I really enjoyed the conversation and, and uh, I appreciate you uh,
0: listening. And how do you feel now? Uh, I mean, if you well, had well, feelings, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you had feelings, what <laughs> color would they be? What type oh, of unicorn whole, are you currently experiencing in your chest? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, what do you feel now?
4: Uh, well, for that whole conversation, it was a lot of sadness. And, some tears, to be honest, uh, just over the great loss, um, you know that I experienced. But um, I don't. Know. It's okay. Is it okay. I It okay. It's I'm I'm okay with it. It's okay. It's hard to. I feel like I'm fucking up, but like maybe I am. But it's just it happened. You know, it sucked and. You know, what else can I do but move forward? Uh, I guess that's what I could say. I don't really know what to say.
0: Well, uh, I'll tell you. Sorry, just after saying I won't get the last word. <laughs> so sorry. How annoying! I'm going to take the last word. And uh, but it's it's really about you. So, you know, when I'm talking to to someone about these kinds of issues, I am very strongly trying to figure out what they're feeling, but I also have to stay in touch with what I'm feeling. That's the juggle act, right? Because my feelings shouldn't eclipse the other person's feelings, but if I don't focus on my own feelings, I'm not getting a true experience of the, a true and valuable experience of the interaction. And of course, I'm no diagnostician, so I'm, this may be worth nothing. It probably is worth nothing, but I will tell you that I got no sense of grandiosity from you. I got no sense of manipulation from you. I got no sense of cruelty from you, and so for for my money, you're not a sociopath, because you didn't, first of all, you're in this conversation at all, and sociopaths do not like to talk about their childhood, as far as I understand it, you did not manipulate this conversation, you stayed true to your feelings in the conversation, you were honest in the conversation, I got no sense of dissembling, or avoidance, or manipulation, so... No sense of grandiosity, um, no sense of impulsivity. Even in a difficult conversation, you were able to stay in the conversation and stay present in the conversation. So I am – this means nothing, clearly. But if I had to put money in it, I'd put money on the the not-so-much-with-the-sociopathy thing. And you have um, damn good reason, as somebody in the chat room is saying. (laughs) You are not a psychopath. You are just pissed off for damn good reasons. And um, you said (laughs) – you sound like a great friend. And so I. Uh, the, the sympathy that's coming out from the community here is, is huge. And this is one of the things I absolutely love about this community is the, the basic empathy. Uh, you'll get more empathy from one person in a chat room in free domain radio than you will from some adults in 20 years of your life. And so huh. um, I just Diadic. wanted to point out that I have pretty good instincts with these things. That means nothing, I understand. I have pretty good instincts with these things. And when I'm in the presence of somebody dangerous, I feel alarmed. Right. And I I felt no sense of danger from you and no sense of manipulation, no sense of grandiosity, no sense of impulsivity, uh, no sense of manipulation. And I'm I'm just telling you that as my honest experience, which does not appear to support the thesis of sociopathy. But, you know, the, the last thing, of course, I'll say is that you please please if you can find a good therapist particularly i think the internal family systems therapy is very important i mean you've imbibed a lot of poison through your mom and that's going to set up residence and and uh, in your head so if you can get a good uh, therapist uh, to to work on this uh, if you don't have any money and of course you know when you start with this kind of stuff it's really problematic um let me know and maybe we can do a, a whip around on the free domain radio board and raise some some money to get you to a therapist uh, i would certainly contribute to that and and uh, you know, because I think that would be really, hugely helpful. And I just really wanted to tell you how much I admire everything that you're doing to to bring about the change that is so necessary.
4: Thank you very much for that. That's, those are very kind words. I appreciate that.
0: All right. So yeah, tell me if you've gone to therapy. Just drop me an email, host at freedomainradio.com. If you can't find it, uh, then let me know and we'll see if we can find someone through the, the message board. And if you need money, you know, please let let me know, and we'll find a way to get you to get you what you need, okay? Because you're you're out, and uh, it ain't gonna come from your past, but maybe it can come from your present.
4: Yeah, I I think finding the right one. I I, w- I went to one before, and uh, I think it would just help in finding a good one. Would be really really appreciated as well.
0: Okay. Um, well, yeah. If you want to email me your location, then uh, I'll see if, if I know anyone. Uh, and uh, but we'll we'll find a way to get you to somebody good. And uh, we'll find a way if you can't afford it to to get your costs covered. I I I would be happy to help out with that, and I'm sure other people in the community would as well. So so great job, man. And, and thank you so much for um, for trusting the show enough to talk about this stuff. It, it, it's 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 hell, I know. But but you did fantastically.
4: All right. Well, have a have a great rest of your day. Thanks for your time.
0: Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. And I think that's it for the show. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Have yourselves a wonderful week. I'll talk to you soon.